podcast this week, we're joined by one of the biggest movie stars on the planet, Jennifer Lawrence, star of Causeway, and her director, Lila Neugebauer. And things get weird with Daniel Radcliffe, star of, um, weird. Weird Al Yankovic's On the Plane. All that and more on the movie podcast that will miss its blue tick. And who can deny the snazzy of that? Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt. And welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, this week I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Our very own George Harrison, Lucky Likey, John Nugent is back for another helping. Hello, George. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. You're right, Chris. I'm having a nervous breakdown, John, okay. if I'm honest with you. But yes, how are you? I'm good. I'm very good. I, I saw um, the My Neighbor Totoro stage show last Ooh, night. So I'm buzzing. I'm buzzing. Did it you was take a cat bus there? Delightful. There there was a cat bus on stage. Okay, uh, this is a delightful small talk. Wait until I've introduced these two. Okay. It's no, like no. You're going rogue like sorry, this sorry. motherfucker here. <laughs> Speaking of this just motherfucker excited. here, it is our great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. Hello, James. Hello, I'm uh, Liam Hemsworth. I'm just filling in for James. It's all, it's all good. <laughs> you, d- you had become demonstrably shitter. <laughs> Maybe he'll be great. We don't know. Yeah, James is, James is going off to do Superman, so I'm, I'm stepping in. I'm going to be podcast host. We love a Hemsworth. There's enough yeah. of them to do a ranking. <laughs> There's like a million of them. We're also joined, last but not Good least, Lord. by Helen O'Hara, our geek queen. Hello, Helen. Hi. Who gave me a quizzical look whenever I said, and who can deny the snazzy of that? I did. I didn't understand it either. Well, it's a quote from The Tick, the, oh. my favourite iteration of The Tick. Which, which only the, you've seen. The live, I've which seen only it. I've seen, the live action. Oh, you've seen it too? I've good. Seen it too, that's yeah. good. It's just um, been a while. How I grok your mouth music. <laughs> Gravity I've seen the more recent Tick. It's a, a harsh se- mistress. A secret message from, from my, my teeth. teeth. Oh my God, it's so, so fun. <laughs> it's the live action uh, version of Ben Edlund's very, very funny, very stupid superhero comic, The Tick, uh, which ran for precisely nine episodes. I think it actually ran for seven episodes. They shot nine, and then the other two were put on the DVD at some point. It's really funny. It's really hard to track down. If you can, I beseech thee to find The Tick, played to perfection by Patrick Warburton. Oh my God, he's a blue tick. Yeah, which is why I've just which got is it. Chris's joke. I've just got the joke. My it's God. all just. It's all. It's you, all clear to me now. You really are the shit as Hemsworth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Chris couldn't make it. I really hope Liam Hemsworth doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> Blue tick. I see. See that. You so see? your intro was both topical and, and funny. Yeah. Wow. This I is know. incredible. Are you writing notes down for pilot? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait Still a Chris's blue tick joke. Intros can be topical <laughs> and funny. Oh, that's good. I hope everyone got it as uh, as quickly as I did. I hope they did. I really, really <laughs> yeah. hope they did. Sorry. Anyway, now that I've explained that intro to you, John, do tell us about the uh, the My Neighbor Totoro. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was very, very good. It was very, it was beautiful. I it was just like I was spellbound for like n- nearly three hours. It was. It, it's That's a, a long time. It's a really long show, by the way. That's it's, much longer than the film. The isn't film it? is like ninety minutes, and it's two hours fifty minutes with an interval. Wow, um, which is quite long. Anyway, uh, last time John slash George was on the podcast, uh, not Ringo or Paul, just John and George. Uh, we tackled a question about the directors you would stick on your horror movie, Mount Rushmore. Mm. As as we all know, Twitter and our listenership were in agreement with our choices. Paul W.S. Anderson on all fixtures. On all yeah. fixtures. Uh, there's, Paul, there's one for Paul, one for W, one for S, and one for Anderson. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of people replied to that saying, do the comedies. Do comedy, do the comedies. Do comedy, a comedy, movie directors, Mount Rushmore. Rushmore, which oh, I always a good think job I'm here. Um, James is going to go first on hmm. this one. Oh, God. Jimbo, 
Do you know any comedy directors? Um, I would have to say... I know who you're going to go for. Oh, do you though? Mm-hmm. Do you? Yes. Okay, you have to go for Jonathan Lynn because he's the director of The Only Comedy You Like. Well... None's on the run. That is true. And clearly he would take up at least one space. But I would have to say John Hughes would be up there for me. He's looking okay. at me blankly. No, no, no. I know no. who John Hughes is. No, I know you know who he is, but you, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm waiting to be judged. No, no, no. I'm not, You're not I'm judging, judging me. No, he's, You're not he, judging me. No, he's judging, the judging writer of bit. National Lampoon's okay. Christmas Vacation. Okay. He's the director of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He's he the director of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Many, yeah. many good films. And some appallingly bad and films so, but also. He, but he was, you know, an, an eclectic director. <laughs> he liked good films and he also liked shit films. So yeah, that's, that's nice. he covered all the bases. He did, he did. Okay, that's it. And you enjoy those films? I do enjoy those films, yes. I might even smile slightly while watching them. <laughs> chuckle to myself. I chuckle to wow. myself. You know, you, internally. Do you yeah. have the jokes explained to you? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. A little bit, yes. <laughs> I don't know why you laugh. It is something I could never do. Um, would I put Harold Ramis up there? I might, you know. I might have Harold Ramis up there because that, to me, covers off both his work as a director and Ghostbusters. So that's, you know, that's handy. Okay. All right. This, cheating a little, but okay. Yep. No, I think he's, he's cheating. Groundhog. Cheating. Okay, name three Harold Ramis films. Uh, I will, without <laughs> looking at the screen that I have up, Caddyshack, National Lampoon's Vacation. Oh my <laughs> um, God. Do you like Caddyshack? <laughs> no. Uh, Caddyshack is a terrible film. Because I, I, I rewatched like Caddyshack a couple of years ago and I hated it's it. It's so bad. Yeah. Mm. It is, it's amateurish, it's slapdash, and crucially, unfunny. Mm. And just populated with awful people. Yeah. So very much like the game of golf, which I love. Hey. But also... I feel we have to have a place up there for Rawson Marshall Thurber, if only because we probably quote him more than anyone else on this podcast. Blade. Blazer. 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 But then I would throw it back at you and say, does that mean that Ben Stiller should be on that? Because Ben Stiller is one saying that, but Ben Stiller is also, also a, very a comedy good director. Comedy yes, director. very, very true. Very, very true. Also did uh, Severance, which is not in any way a comedy, but is one off, if not the best shows of this year. So, But stars Adam Scott, who is, is Step Brothers, directed by Adam McKay, who would be one of my I bet he would. comedy Mount Rushmore okay. choices. Mm. But we'll get round to me in a second. So, so, so have you gone for four? No. Where are we? We're on three. I don't think we're on four. Edgar Wright is another one that I toy with, but I find him, so, but mainly for Spaced. So obviously that's TV, so I don't know whether that counts for this particular Mount Rushmore, since okay. I know you are an elitist for the big screen. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you know so, so that's a possibility. And then... No one else speak. No one help him. Many other good comedy directors. <laughs> there are many. There are many, many, many wonderful <laughs> comedy directors. Um, um, Zucker wouldn't be up there. I don't like any of those fucking films. Just, um, just one sucker. Just yeah, one just one. Sucker. Just one. I'm, 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 I, hold, I hold, I hold David Zucker responsible for all of it. Okay. Uh, wow. Yeah. I just, I don't. I just, they're not funny. I don't know what to tell you. Oh my god. Oh my. Oh my <laughs> god. I, I can't even process something. I just, you know, no. I don't. Ex- I don't expect sense from him, but I don't understand <laughs> the level of nonsense. Yeah, but I've sp- we've spoken about this many times. Like, I just, I find silly comedy quite grating. What, you know? When you say silly comedy, do you mean funny comedy? <laughs> yeah, I think he does. <laughs> don't well, enjoy. So, 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 and my long-standing philosophy on this, which you may or may not agree with, even though it's one hundred percent accurate, is that is that comedy that exists in a heightened oh, universe of quote unquote funny 
is not funny because it, it, I can't relate to it. I can't access it. I well, need I need comedy to be anchored in the real. But he also can't take any kind of embarrassment comedy. Yeah, so that's he's got true. this incredibly yeah. narrow. So, no, Larry David. Yeah. yeah. So he's got this incredibly narrow spectrum. Yeah. Which he allows funniness to uh, exist. Okay. 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 That's funny. I enjoy that. That's funny, but it's not a comedy. No, it's, it's not. not but, but this is the thing. Don't run. So I think the best comedy comes out of drama, which is so that I think when Eddie Murphy was oh, doing wow. pure comedy, not really funny. But when he was doing action comedy, where it's grounded in a serious dramatic, but it's there's humour in it. I'm sorry, Beverly I'm Hills sorry, Cops are I'm fucking sorry. hilarious. Whoa, whoa, whoa! We are objecting to a heightened comedy universe. Yeah. but we're absolutely fine with Beverly yeah. Hills Cop existing in the real <laughs> yeah. world. Hundred percent. Get a fuck. <laughs> All right. Okay. 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 Would you okay. put? Would you put? Yeah. Um. You know, and I know they're off screen controversies. But would you put, say, John Landis, then, for example, who is someone who who very much trucks in that that hinterland between comedy and drama? Like my favorite John Landis film, apart from maybe American Werewolf, is Into the Night, which mm. is this really weird comedy that goes into really dark areas. There's Three Amigos as well, which is a silly oh, comedy. You so don't good. like that. But then there's the Blues Brothers, and then there's Spies Like Us, and Trading Places, and maybe maybe Trading Places, 100 percent American yes. Werewolf. Not the funniest film I've ever seen. I understand that it's got black comedy in it, but it's not like I mean, I don't laugh when I watch it. Yeah, but then like, but so, so Weird Science, nothing, nothing stupider than Weird Science. But that's a really funny film. Really like that. So John Hughes, maybe, maybe it's because John Hughes got me at an age when I still had my soul and found things funny. And now, as I've got older, that is no longer the case. Withered husk of a human that I am. So have I don't we got know. to four? I've lost count. Uh, you, I, okay, and, and think I know how to get to him. So okay, so you're Python. I, you're not a Python guy. No. Right? So, okay, so my all-time favorite comedies. Okay. Are the Eddie Murphy 80s comedies. All right, it's okay. So let's just pick a direct. Let's just fucking pick a director (laughs) from one of those. I don't know that I want to. I'd want to just put Eddie up there. Because he's emblematic of all of those films point. for me. It's it's the directors that we've been. I know. I kind of feel if I was allowed to have James Cameron naked and prostrate across Mount Rushmore, I should be allowed to put <laughs> Eddie Murphy on there. Like, you weren't. But you, and you didn't. No, I did. You Wearing didn't. nothing but the heart of the ocean. I no, thought we no, established no. this. No, we did not. We did no not. one agreed to this. John. Hello. Um, yes. You're you're a Captain Arthouse. You probably you're. you're <laughs> That's a really shit superhero. (laughs) (laughs) You come and beat villains to death with the Darden brothers. (laughs) I will make your film three hours long. Um, He's always in the dead center of the screen. Yeah, yeah. Where do you stand on Shaq Shaq Tati? Shaq Tati. I mean, it's yeah. It's not a bad call. I wouldn't put him on my Mount Rushmore. I don't think. But um, I was thinking going way back. I know you're not Mm. a big uh, silent movie fan, but I think Keaton and Chaplin would probably. Keaton and Chaplin. On my Mount Rushmore, um, Keaton. I will. I will. I will go with Keaton. Michael Chaplin. Absolutely not. No. I'm. I'm sorry. Modern no. Times is genuinely funny. Get I don't out. like. It's no. still. I, I've. I've seen many Chaplin films on a big screen many, and many wonderful a, Chaplin films. A big cinema of people laughing heartily, yep. and this is in like you know recently. This is not in the 1920s. <laughs> he's still funny I love that you clarified that yeah, thank you yeah. he is still funny yeah genuinely genuinely funny and the general as well is one of the greatest yeah. cinema experiences I've ever had seeing that on the big screen it's, it's absolutely hilarious yeah. and talk about commitment to a bit he fucking crashes a train off yeah. a bridge yeah. into a river you know these guys went above and beyond for a laugh. Oh, yeah. Willing to yeah. like break bones. You yeah. Know? I think it was Sometimes the general where he like, yeah, I think Keaton broke his arm or his shoulder well, or something. He's Jackie Chan's hero, isn't he? Like that's, yeah. that's for yeah. his whole yeah. thing is based on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, they, I think they're two pretty nailed on, uh, sorry, 
chiseled on. Um, <laughs> chiseled on, yeah. So you're Chaplin. Uh, I would probably go a no, Python. Pi- okay, which one? Pick a Python. It it's got to be directors, Jones, right? Jones. If we're doing directors. You're going Jones, okay? Because he because he did Life of Brian Solo, didn't he? It was he did yes. Life was, of Brian Solo would be an unorthodox Star Wars character. <laughs> <laughs> Han, Han's little known brother. I think it could work. Um, yeah, no, Python is pretty big for me. Can you get all, like, Zucker Abrams and Zucker onto one? I think Zaz has to count as one, right? Like the living tribunal and just have, like, three faces as one and stick it on Rushmore. Yeah, do it. It's an entity. It's an entity. They are an entity. Because you don't want to take up three spaces. I think think it would be maybe them. I don't know, though. It's really tough. I've got a similar line to you. I would like Adam McKay on there. I think, you know, Anchorman, Step Brothers, and uh, let's say the other guys probably... You know, three of my favorite comedies of recent times. What I will say is the guy with no sense of humor cannot express dismay or disgust at other people's choices. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, I can. <laughs> you can, but I, I would I would strongly urge you not to. Okay. Okay. Mm. Because um, I don't I just don't understand. Yeah. That's fair. You don't get it. So I have uh, some similar uh, ones to John in that I also went to Keaton and Chaplin pretty much immediately. I think uh-huh. if I think if you don't have at least one of them and probably both, you you're gonna look a bit silly. Um, Uh-oh, prepares but, to look silly. <laughs> <laughs> but also, then, you've got Mel Brooks. I feel like mm. if we should be talking about Mel Brooks. Screw you, I work for Mel Brooks. <laughs> I'm worried about that we're missing the entire studio era, though, because I feel like we have to talk about George Capra. Cukor. Yeah. We have Sturges. About, I don't know about Capra so no. much. Sturges, probably. Ernest Lubitsch should be in there. Billy Wilder. Wilder. I was going to say Wilder. Wilder yeah. had a, a what would Lubitsch do thing on his on his wall, which means I I personally feel like we can't, like, reject mm-hmm. Lubitsch either but See, Billy think, Wilder I mean if you don't have the apartment and some like hot what are you even doing with your life you know but this Helen's, is the problem because I'm, I'm already Helen an absolute like a Sith yeah. I'm already running out of, of I've run out of space several so who've times you got? over who've you got I, so Kaplan Kaplan and Kaplan and, and Keaton and Keaton <laughs> Chaplin and Keaton and Brooks and Wilder uh, but then that that doesn't that doesn't feel right to me because I'm like I said I'm leaving out Sturges I'm leaving out Lubitsch, I'm leaving out Capra, I'm leaving out everybody in the modern era, and I don't want to do any of that. Hmm. Zaz, I would personally put there as well. I think Airplane is just a work of staggering genius. So it's 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 a toughie, is what I'm saying. Uh, and also, you know, how how about kind of darker humor? Like I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan, and I really mm. like their their funny ones. Unlike some people, no, know. that's um, that's fair. I'm with that. I'm not a massive Coen fan, but Big Lebowski is one of my all time favorite films. I mean, so. it, for me, it'd be like I, I I have rarely laughed as much in a in a screening as I did in Hail Caesar. The the comparative religion <laughs> scene alone, I just I could just watch all day. I just love it. And yeah. the um the you know um. With a detour so simple is is a piece yes. of startling <laughs> comedy genius. My other contender, by the way, Rob Reiner. I was going to say Rob mm. Reiner. Yeah, because I mean, I I know he's kind of jumped around from you know different different genres, but the man who made Spinal Tap and The Princess Bride and When Harry Met Sally yeah, cannot easily be be discounted from this list. So if if I put in Reiner and Chaplin, I mean, like there's Max Sennett, there's all these early people we're not even talking about. Um, Howard Hawks. Howard Hawks. I know. I mean, and like I'm a His Girl Friday stan for life, but because <sighs> he was know. he was so versatile, wasn't he? So he was so. Ver- but then know you know, I so it was Wilder. We shouldn't ping people for versatility. So it was Reiner. Either. Yeah. So did I have three or four there? So I had Reiner, Reiner, Chaplin, Chaplin 
wilder. Wilder? I cannot have wilder, I'm sorry. Something like it hot. It's just against my religion not to have wilder. Okay. I mean, Jack Lemmon with, with, the, with the past and the apartment, one of the all-time great scenes. Jack Lemmon just eating a TV dinner in front of the TV is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in the cinema. It's unbelievable. And, um, Kukor, fuck it. <laughs> so for the people who don't know at home, what did George Kukor do? George Kukor did a lot of the um, Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn comedies. He made mm-hmm. The Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, he mm-hmm. he was basically uh, a Hollywood legend for what essentially near 50 years. And most of what he made was comedies. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so maybe him over Sturges and Lubitsch. Oh, this is tough. This is tough. This, in a way, may be way tougher than the uh, the horror one. I feel like horror is a younger genre, in like in its classic sense. I know we talked about James Whale and stuff when we when we did the horror piece, and of course, there's you know there's the Hammer and there's the Universal horrors, but they were they were a, a, a niche mm. contained number of films. Oh, comedy has existed comedy has been there since the dawn of time. Yeah, and, and it's, it's been mainstream, and for it's a been long time. mainstream yeah. for the entire length of cinema history. Yeah. What about people? Okay. What about people who have kind of knocked it out of the park once? We had this discussion as well on the on the mm. horror thing. But what about someone like, say, a <laughs> a Hugh Wilson who directed Please Academy? No, not him. Uh, <laughs> what about someone say like a Bruce Robinson, who mm-hmm. directs With Nell and I, one of the all time greatest comedies ever, and then doesn't hit those heights again? I said this on the horror version of this, but it works for the comedy one as well. Stanley Kubrick, you know, Doctor mm. Strangelove is yeah. one yes. of the funniest films yeah. of all time. But I don't think he ever made another comedy that you could, or a film that you could really, maybe a Pe- Clockwork people Orange. People talk about Eyes Wide Shut being a comedy, and yeah, Do they? I, I think that's yes. unintentional comedy. Perhaps is it like a very, more of a very, satire? Yeah, satire, kind of dark comedy. A full Metal Jacket's a lol fest, <laughs> isn't it? Just. But Doctor Strange, love. I mean, no, Peter Sellers a is comedy, incredible yeah. Yeah. in that film, and just like, laugh out loud, funny. Mm. Uh, no, mm. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, have you said yes to any of the the, the things that I've said so far, James? <laughs> no, I haven't. Okay. It's very like it's like I could probably count the films that have made me laugh out loud on maybe two hands, maybe not one. One might be a bit harsh. So, maybe maybe the problem isn't with the film. <laughs> you think? Maybe. You think the problem may be with me? Would it surprise you to know, John, that I was a big Norman Wisdom fan? Uh, in my youth. <laughs> Very much enjoyed his sort of, uh, you know, the bulldog breed, trouble in store, stuff like that. Those used to really make me laugh, again, before I became the twisted, evil mm. man that I am now. Uh, but as a, as, a, as a youth, as a fun-loving youth, I, I enjoyed getting my normal wisdom on. Right. I don't, that's I don't know if that's okay. better or worse. I feel no, like it might be don't worse. Don't know what to make no. of that, really. Chris. Okay. I mean, okay, so a couple of things. Uh, one, I think we should mention Gerald Thomas, who directed, I think, pretty much every, in fact, maybe every single Carry On movie, but we're not. <laughs> we're just going to mention him in dispatches and say, yep. well done. And I mean, look, we've, we have four places We here. have four places. I, I but just that, don't that man feel like we directed can... at least 20 of the comedies that have been made. Indisputable. If you're carving a, a small hillock somewhere mm. in England, oh hillock, mm. a hillock in England, mm. then we can absolutely have that conversation. Oh, I'll get it up. Okay, <laughs> so Chris, you're for. <laughs> uh, all right. So what about Blake Edwards? Yeah, fuck. Uh, yeah. That's another one. Panther. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he would quite reach the heights of Mount Rushmore for me. He'd be in yeah. like a smaller. He's really tiny. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be in a little um Hillock somewhere. Uh, Another hillock. A, a glen. A glen. A mossy glen. Yes. Off to the side with someone like Bill Forsyth as well. Yeah. Um 
All right. Okay. My four. Basically, I'm just reheating everything you guys have said because you've you said pretty much all the all the comedy directors. I'm uh, I'm going to be a heathen and go very modern. Um, Outrageous. And I'm going to go for yes, Adam McKay because I think Anchorman is the best comedy for the last thirty years, and I love Step Brothers with all my heart. Uh, Sucker Abraham's Sucker for sure are on my list and that's four we're done right thanks <laughs> <laughs> come on I don't know Mel Brooks yeah Mel Brooks I see, I for think sure Mel Brooks has to be yeah there. screw you I work for Mel Brooks I love I love I love Blazing Saddles Silent Movie High Anxiety I, I think it's a kind of lesser known Brooks film but it's so fucking funny it's so good um, and that leaves me with one more uh, so I need to go for someone cerebral to make me look like I, I'm intelligent ah <laughs> <sighs> Alexander Payne, we haven't talked about, you know. Or Wes Anderson. I was going to say Wes Anderson. Anderson's close. You know. I, I find his films whimsical more than funny, but you know. Grand whatever. Budapest Hotel, I chuckled my little heart out. Mm, I, Did you? I laughed a lot at the French Dispatch. Like, yeah, a lot. Thought that was delightful. Yeah, that was really, really great. Uh, really, really great. Uh, but if it's if I'm thinking about screenings that I that ap- that absolutely destroyed me, absolutely destroyed me. And I know this is very modern, but Helen's taking care of all the old dead people. Then I'm going to go for <laughs> Akiva Schaefer, who, of course, is one, uh, ha- oh, one part show. of the Lonely Island mm. troupe and who directed Hot Rod, which is still one of my favorite ever screening experiences. Cool I beans. love that movie so much. And, of course, Popstar Never Stop. Never stopping. Never stopping uh, as well. So there you go. Come at me, bros. Uh, I've gone for <laughs> people who are still alive and in color. Hey everyone, it's Chris here, just jumping in real quick to say that these things are never meant to be definitive, they're never meant to be exhaustive, but you may be yelling some names at your podcast device of choice right now, uh, so having listened back to it and edited the podcast, yes, we didn't really develop Edgar Wright that far, and I would consider him for my Mount Rushmore because he directed Hot Fuzz and Scott Pilgrim and Shaun of the Dead, three of my favourite comedies of all time. Uh, Peter Bogdanovich directed two of my favourite comedies of all time, What's Up Doc and Noises Off, Albert Brooks, Modern Romance, Defending Your Life, Lost in America for the Love of God, and I would also mention Trey Parker and Matt Stone, just for Team America World Police alone. Their South Park work notwithstanding. Anyway, just jumped in real quick to say four more names. I'm sure you have others, and some others were probably cut from our discussion as well. So there you go. Back to the regularly scheduled podcast. Enjoy. Anyway, uh, if you can think of any other genre that we could do a Mount Rushmore for, then we, then send in. We didn't talk about like rom coms as a genre. We didn't talk about Nora Ephron. Teen we comedies. Talk about teen. Yeah. See, I don't think Nora Ephron as a director would be on there for me. No, she probably wouldn't, but she'd be worthy of a mention, I think, because... If there was um, a Mount Rushmore of screenwriting, then it, maybe. Yeah, and if there was a Mount Rushmore of, you know, rom But Aaron Sorkin only has one face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good God. But it uses it to say so many things. <laughs> yes, so... If, so how many places are there, on, are there on Mount Rushmore? Four. For four. each four. of Molly's Game Stars, right? Okay, <laughs> good, that's good, good to know. That's, uh, so if you... I don't know, maybe that's the next one we do. We do the screenwriting, uh, the screenwriting Mount Rushmore, and I'm sure there are lots of problematic people we can gloss over there as well <laughs> so if you want to have your question read out the Emperor podcast well, I keep saying Twitter is the only game in town but <laughs> nowadays frankly <laughs> Mastodon I don't know <laughs> who knows but I am sticking to Twitter because quite frankly you know I, I you know you don't get to port your followers to Mastodon <laughs> well uh, there's that also but you know I was here first kind of thing so oh. 
Anyway, it, we'll it, see what happens. Yeah, that's I'm, a whole I'm, other conversation. I'm maintaining a watching brief, shall we say, but <laughs> yes, our, our blue ticks are about to become history because I'm not paying $8 a month. Absolutely not. Absolutely Fuck not. Right. I'm with Stephen King on this. Unless Gone can, like Enron. Unless I can claim it back. If I can claim it back on expenses, <laughs> then on. yes. I did cross my mind. <laughs> but I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm sorry, if... Being a blue tick becomes a sign that you are paying at Elon Musk. For yeah, that's right. Like, then it becomes a badge oh, of yeah. shame yeah. instead of a badge, badge of honor. Badge of shame. It's not even a badge of honor. It's just a thing saying you're who you say you are. I mean, well, that's cares? the whole point, isn't it? The whole, but wasn't it? It was brought in because Twitter weren't doing enough to prevent sort of like imitators and sort of fake accounts and whatnot. So it was to show that this is the person who they are, who they say they are. Yeah, and that that seems like a laudable thing, not something that you should should you know take away. Twitter. I'm on Twitter at the moment. Uh, at Chris Hewitt is my name. Slide into my DMs. Um, I wonder if a blue tick soon. Uh, but you can slide into my DMs nonetheless. Or reply to any of my panicked shoutouts every now and again. Or just reply to any of my tweets once you've stopped laughing, of course. Okay, so, movie news. Yeah. Movie news. Look, okay, look. First of all, I, I, I appreciate I'm going to go into this in some detail on the Pilot TV podcast. But oh, this no, has please been do give us a cliff notes. A very difficult week for me. First of all, my beloved Witcher, Geralt of Rivia, retired because Henry Cavill has fucked off to be Superman again. And the Hemsworth has jumped in. The other Hemsworth, Liam, has jumped in to become Geralt for season four. So Henry Cavill's going to do season three. Liam's going to do season four. But first of all, how do we get to this point? How do we get to this point where Liam Hemsworth is the the worst Hemsworth? Yeah, and I don't, I don't that mean seems this. Harsh. I, I never I, said he was the worst Hemsworth. I, I think I called He's him not the, the worst. No, Hemsworth. in fairness, in fairness, people who say things like that are horrible. I, and in fairness, I did say the shittest Hemsworth. <laughs> earlier. Which is, you know, which is we're, we're, we're grading on a yeah. very, very Gary very Hemsworth small is rubbish. Here. Gary Hemsworth, but I mean, look at them; they're all Adonises. Especially because if you go on Instagram, if you follow any of them on Instagram, all of them end up doing like press ups on mountains together. Or yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a yeah. lot. There's mm. Hemsworth on top. It's like a Hemsworth centipede. It was. Of, yeah. They're, 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 they're oh, just working no. out. I don't mean in that way. No. But yeah. All anyway. doing burpees. So Liam Hemsworth, oh, no. a few years ago, was on the cusp of being a big star. Yeah. And it just kind of hasn't happened for well, him. Well, Independence point, Day resurgence didn't really happen for anyone, did it? I've Not really. honestly forgotten who was in that movie. Uh, <laughs> and I think everyone who's in that movie has forgotten that they were in that movie also. But it kind of didn't happen for him. Like he was in the Hunger Games and you're right, Independence Day Resurgence was an attempt to be a big star and kind of break out of his brother Chris's shadow. But what's happened over the last few years is that he's kind of gone backwards a little bit and Luke Hemsworth has kind of come to the fore in terms of the Hemsworth. Obviously, Chris is still the number one Hemsworth. But how has this happened to the point where when Henry Cavill drops out of The Witcher season four, Twitter was, how should we say? Unkind. yes. They were not receptive to this idea. I'm look. I'm I'm trying to be pretty open minded about this. It helps that I've read one Witcher book and played zero games and don't care that much. But um, how dare you? <laughs> but you know, I'm I'm interested in this happening. So obviously, it feels to me, at least, maybe, maybe obvious is the wrong word, but it feels to me that Cavill is back from more than one go as Superman. That there is going to be that he is involved in the DC universe in a wider role because otherwise, I feel like given his fandom of both these characters, and assuming a basic willingness to cooperate by the studios, which is perhaps an assumption too far, uh, that they would try and cooperate on schedule and you know shoot Man of Steel two around. Witcher season four, you know, that there would be some effort to to let him do both because he, he does seem to genuinely love both characters and be genuinely dedicated to both franchises. And I believe mm. him on that. So I feel like the fact that he is giving up a character who he loves as much as he loves Geralt of Rivia in order to go back to Superman suggests to me that there is a big Superman stuff coming. I, I see. 
I I wonder whether it's a lot to do with the fact because it's a big commitment. Obviously, you've been doing three seasons of The Witcher, and it's a, and for someone who is like a big like I you you consider him a big star, but he's never like and don't get me wrong, he's had leading roles, but he's never quite cracked that no, nailed A-list. on leading man yeah. A listing. No. Like he's a big star, but he's not quite that. And I feel like if you then spend like seven years or something on TV, maybe he's going to miss his window. I wonder whether because he's got Highlander coming up, which might be a big transformational role for his career. I, I wonder whether it's tactical. Right? He loved Geralt of Rivia, that's why he's done it, but he doesn't want to be stuck on, in one role forever. for maybe, that much I mean, time. Maybe, but then he's going back to another role that, mm. you know, but it is super stuck man. in do we, for a Do we know time. exactly I mean, why? But again, if, that doesn't necessarily make you a star. If you, if, he, if, no. if his end game is the A-list... No, end, well, end game is Marvel. Yeah, okay, Marvel. don't even... <laughs> then how does, this, how does this really help you? There's no guarantee that being Superman, especially again, yeah. in a studio that is struggling... But I think in terms of increasing your star power, I think doing a big sort of like superhero Hollywood movie versus being on a Netflix streaming show, it probably does more for him. That's fair. fair. We don't even know he's left the role to star as Superman. It might be that he wants to star as uh, Sherlock Holmes in the It it could be he's doing the the Enolaverse. Enola Holmes 5 and 6 coming soon. I don't know. He's not short of a franchise or two, that is true. So maybe maybe something had to give and The Witcher is what gave. But it it does feel to me like there might be, you know, Significant Supermanness coming. Yeah, I know. I think I think you're right. I think there probably is. But I like you know. I want to see more of him in other roles. I love him as Geralt, and and but I'd like to see him doing other things as well. I'm like, does he have to have a social life? And I, but I think this is also really good for Liam Hemsworth because I think he you know he can act. He is as discussed like tall and good looking and all the sort of like muscly things that you want from a witcher. Much like myself, yes. Once he gets the wig on and gets a bit of grime on his face <gasps> and dons How the black leather. There's I mean, so much more to that. There's not a lot more to that, <laughs> is there? So yeah, as far as I understand it, he just tosses a coin all day. Is yeah, that right? So, pretty much. No, no, well, they're tossed toss at him. Yeah, they're to tossed him. to him. No, okay. It's a bit like, you know, like a stripper. People toss while thinking about Henry Cavill. Is that, basically... <laughs> that also happens. Okay. Yeah. I've heard. Did anything else happen in the world of yes, so movie news? Yes, so Fate the Wink Saga has been cancelled, and this is a very, very difficult time for me. As I said, it's been a really difficult <laughs> week, and I just, you know, I'm just not sure how many more knocks I can take, if I'm honest with you. It's difficult. You know, the, the, the show about the fairies at boarding school has been cancelled after honest, two seasons. I wasn't aware it was commissioned. Like, <laughs> so. What's hilarious about this is I tried to watch season two, and I was like, no, I'm not enough of a teenage girl for this. <laughs> I am, and I loved it. In fact, weirdly, I because I've been late to it because we couldn't review it on pilot because of the embargo. So I, it took me ages to get to Sorry, it. Sorry, the embargo. The embargo. Fate, Fate the Wing the Saga. saga. Yeah. <laughs> this is season two of Fate the Wing Saga, and uh, but I watched the entirety of Fate the Wing Saga last week, all eight episodes of it. So I sat through eight hours of this, only for them to fucking cancel it. It's an hour long. Well, broadly speaking, like, hey, you know. Ducky is seven minutes long. <laughs> yeah. Sarah and Duck is is this a kids show? No, no, these fairies fuck. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of these, it's like an edgy, which is my favourite type of YA show. It's an edgy no. YA show with YA? the blood and the swear way, with the blood and the swearing and the, the sex. But I mean, I tried to watch season two, I really did. And then I couldn't remember anything about season one because it has so little yeah. of its own identity or point. And also Leslie Sharp has turned into Miranda Richardson for all reasons. For no reason. Yeah. You know there's... Porn, right? I just—is <laughs> there fairy porn, Chris? I'm Actually, sure there probably there is. is. <laughs> There's all kinds. I, I like a, I like a good YA show, you know. Yeah, and it's, it's like not... the bastard son, the devil himself. That's also really good. Okay, but porn mm. isn't embargoed. That's or true. Indeed, that, but that is true. Come embargoed. Oh no! Which is 
Okay. If a porn star makes a brief appearance in another porn star's film, that's called a cameo. No. Anyway, no. so uh, so that's the, <laughs> I guess that's the you know TV news this week. That's, Any that's movie the, news? That's the news for teenagers. Is there <laughs> news Any for adults? adult news? No. There, there was a bit actually. Um, there's something that Chris I think is going to be really excited about. Yes. And that is the fact yes. that the director of Nobody yes is making a new film. But it's not Nobody too. So it's, I'm a bit it's like okay, mm. no. But you know, it sounds fun. It's called Heads of State. Stars John Cena and Idris Elba, oh. and it's an action movie. Yay! Yay! I'm excited about this, and that is Ilya Neyshuler. It is, yes. Thank you for pronouncing the name that I was frantically trying to avoid because I couldn't remember his pronunciation. Uh, that's all right. That's all right. I probably butchered it. But uh, yes, Ilya Neyshuler directed, of course, Hardcore Henry, uh, <laughs> one star in Empire Magazine. And then he directed Nobody, which I absolutely adore. And I think he and Bob Odenkirk are still hoping to get Nobody 2 off the ground. But... I guess that's maybe stalling a little bit. So, nobodies. Yeah, nobodies. Yeah, and so they've gone for heads of state instead. Yeah. So yeah, sounds good. Well, so, what, so this sounds like two world leaders. Yeah, it's not. It's I'm like not, Angel I'm not, has fallen, but but or, double. Yeah, not Angel has fallen. What's it's the one not where quite clear. London has fallen, but with it. It seems to me that they're kind of they're tipping around it. But the fact it's called heads of state, mm. I would guess if I were to guess that John Cena is the American president. And Idris Elba is the British Prime Minister. Uh, it would be an interesting day for accents if they switched those roles. <laughs> and something happens that leaves them stranded in a sort of midnight run, my fellow Americans kind of road movie, yeah, buddy comedy thing. There, there ha- have been rumours that it's Air Force One meets midnight run. So That's I, it, yeah. I the, guess, yes. maybe, but... Um, Hey, look, I mean, nobody was great, so fingers crossed that it'll be good. It's for Amazon. The film, nobody so is great. The film, nobody is yes. great. Yeah. No, yeah. Not, no, nobody many is pe- great. Many people yeah. are great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not everyone, but many people. Many, so. many, many, many wonderful, wonderful people. people. Can, can I talk about my favorite piece of casting of the week? Uh, yes. Okay. Which is Jeff Goldblum is going to play the Wizard of Oz in Wicked, in the, for some reason, two movies of Wicked. That is Absolutely superb casting to play a weirdo, uh, essentially snake oil salesman who becomes a self-appointed wizard mm-hmm. when he gets to a magical land. Jeff Goldblum, hundred percent. He doesn't even need a costume; he can just like turn up in whatever he's wearing. Doesn't really need to act; just like yeah. say some lines in his normal voice. And what about singing? Does that song? Does that role require good pipes? Because he he sings, but in a kind of kind of yeah, loose jazz pianist sort of way. Kind yeah. of way. Which he, you know, obviously, because um, he is essentially. But um, he is a very talented. I pianist. don't remember the wizard having much singing to do. He might have one song. He's not. It's not a huge. You were role. paying no attention to the man behind the curtain. I was paying no. Well, the, the, you know, <laughs> as instructed. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so uh, all right, that sounds good. That yeah. sounds good. Jeff Goldblum in anything is good. <laughs> He'll be replacing Liam Hemsworth. Geraldo <laughs> 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 Rivia very very soon. Um. Kelly Marcel is going to direct the third Venom. 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 Uh, for reasons I don't fully understand, but uh, but she is, and that's good. Well, she wor- she worked on the script of the first one. She, and then she wrote both. She first yeah, wrote, two, wrote right? the screenplay. But she's behind the camera. Now. She yeah. and uh, Tom Hardy turns out go back many, many, many years. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that uh, she was working as a waitress at a cocktail bar, uh, and he was. I think he was like on the verge of being Tom Hardy when they first met and he was running an acting class for uh, underprivileged kids or something uh, fairly nearby and she was trying to become a screenwriter and they met and they got on famously and they've struck up a friendship Mm -hmm. that has endured 
So I think he brought her on to Phenom and she became more prominently credited on Phenom 2. So this seems like a a, a fairly sort of sensible pro- trajectory yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. for me. But every day is Christmas Eve and we wish her all the best. Yes, we do. Yeah. Should we talk about Vision Quest? We should talk about Vision Quest. Yeah. yeah, James is trying to make this uh, episode a pilot. pilot, but he's hitting me where it hurts. <laughs> you can't get away from this Sooner one. Sooner or later, you'll yeah. get to something you do care about. That's right. Yeah. Uh, hashtag Vision So White. Uh, the white vision from one, uh, WandaVision is getting a spin-off show called Vision Quest. He what, is. Huh. What, what is this? I, I saw this news and I was confused. What, what is it just Vision like floating in space? <laughs> the further adventures of white vision. Just sort of talking to himself. John, who yeah. of course, as we have established, is Captain Arthouse. And yeah. he is I, not. Oh, well, let not, me put it to you, John. What is the ship of Theseus? Yes, no, I, I've seen one division too. I, I, <laughs> and, and also, he's aware of the sugar babes, which, yeah. you know. <laughs> and their famous song, The Ship of Theseus. Do you remember, they John? They are the Ship of Theseus. Oh, right. For I, you, for I actually you, saw the Sugar Babes at Glastonbury. Go on. Did you? Yeah. Did you? Yeah, yeah. It was actually almost as good as Paul McCartney at Glastonbury. <laughs> and this is the Genuinely. original lineup. Original lineup. Um, and I, I. But they're not the Sugar Babes anymore by name, are they? No, what? I think they are. No, the original, are. the original lineup are now called the Sugar Babes again because for a long time they couldn't be called the Sugar Babes. So what are the new ones called? This is the point. Like this the, is why the, it's the Ship of Theseus. The Candarel Babes. I'm very confused. They are very much like Vision. Uh, they, they, I think on the lineup they were listed as sugar babes. I think they okay, may cool. have resolved their legal issues. Okay, um, cool. And I was surprised how many of the lyrics I knew. <laughs> Turns out a lot of them. Couldn't even name a song. No, neither could neither could I. But I could sing along to all of their songs. Oh. So yeah, I don't know. Anyway, anyway, we're tangent. Back on the ship of Theseus. Where's Where's Vision for you, John? Where, where, when we last saw Vision, do Do you remember? I, where I think he was? I remember. Doesn't he float away? In he just flies away in one division and. Yeah, he and fl- he he's in away. an existential funk. He is. Right. He is because he has just been created, and he's been he's had all of Vision's memories downloaded into him. But he's obviously not that Vision, and mm. so he's because, going to as Queen it. said, there can only be one Vision. one Vision. Yes, but they're Vision's memories from Wanda's brain, right? Because she, Wanda created him. Because mm. he like, was obviously he came out during the pandemic, for he was the twenty twenty vision. Good, uh, dear God. Good, good, oh, good job. Dear. In hindsight, we shouldn't have done that. I, I think. Uh, okay. Well, I've, I've lost all the will to carry on. <laughs> quite frankly, I, I see what you mean, but that vision did seem to have some visionness about, like some some like element of like vision soul about him do you know what I mean it didn't okay. seem to be just like very he didn't seem like a thin version of himself that depended entirely on Wanda to exist he yeah. seemed like yeah. vision okay. so so I don't know if there's some like I mean basically a magician did it and ran away so we can kind of assume that that is a pretty good copy of the original vision if not a perfect one okay so um, he's wrestling with who he is yeah. and am I me and all that sort of stuff. if I'm not me then who the hell am I and he doesn't have his blue tick anymore <laughs> and he doesn't want to pay $8 a month for yep. it and obviously you know not to go too spoilerific this one I would be very very surprised if we saw Elizabeth Olsen as uh, Wanda Maximoff in this so this would, be, this would be essentially the first time we see really properly Fission without mm. Wanda so that that would be interesting that's kind of cool I'm up for it because Paul Bentley's great in this he role. Is great. Yeah, he and is. Vision's super fun. Yeah, this could give him a, a real opportunity to do something. And if they can maybe go down the route then of the Vision Tom King comics, which are tremendous. Although that's kind of suburban stuff also. Yeah, who knows? Who knows what yeah. they'll do? Uh, there was also Wonder Man news, of course, this week. There was. Now, is this confirmed? Because also, uh, when you're dealing with Marvel stuff, nothing is confirmed. 
until yeah. Kevin Feige stands on the stage somewhere and goes KEV KEV KEVIN stands on the stage and uh, and announces stuff so this isn't official about Vision Crest this isn't official about this Wonder Man series starring Yaya Abdul-Mateen II and also the rumours this week that William Jackson Harper aka Chidi from The Good Place has been cast in a very pivotal role in Quantumania and in the Wasp Quantumania and immediately people have started speculating that he's going to be Reed Richards or a Reed Richards so oh, he'd huh. be good huh I'd be quite on board with that mm. Mm. so yeah but none of this is confirmed. No. None of this is confirmed. But, but you know, good casting and yeah. exciting casting in both cases, if true. Indeed. So Wonder Man, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, yeah. is? Is Simon Williams, who is um, basically a sort of family that rivals the Starks. Um, From Winterfell? Sort of, or? No, the other ones. <laughs> okay. Um, the industrialists. And, and he kind of falls on hard times, blames, I think, Tony Stark for this, at least in the comics, and ends up making a deal with Baron Zemo to essentially take a, it's not a super soldier serum, but it kind of is at the same time. Like he gets enhanced uh, strength and speed and blah, blah, blah. Um, and he fights the Avengers a bunch of times and then wouldn't, you know, it ends up joining them. So, uh, but yeah, he has ionic powers. He does. In theory. He does. And he's, he's, he's kind of very closely connected with, with Vision in many, many ways. Mm. So, so that could be interesting. Mm. Crossover question mark? Crossover. Yeah, maybe a way of introducing him might be in. Vision, who knows? We shall see. Vision Quest, if that indeed is where they're going. Uh, Yeah, very exciting. Uh, Obviously, next week sees the the release of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and that stars Lupita Nyongo. And she is going to, she's just signed on to star in A Quiet Place Day One, Mm. which is interesting. So, this is the movie that was going to be from Jeff Nichols, but is now from Michael Sarnowski, who directed Pig. And all we know about it is that it's going to take place on the first day that those pesky aliens showed up, which is interesting, of course, because a large part of The Quiet Place Part 2 was about the first day those pesky aliens showed up. So this, you'd imagine, would have to be a very different milieu. Good Lord. Yes, I think I think it would. Um, I think there's there's a lot of potential to play with here, just trying to figure out, you know, what's happening. And, you know, we saw in that, in that prologue to In A Quiet Place Part 2, we saw that kind of... Uh, figuring out process. Oh, they react to noise. Oh, okay, we have to be super quiet. But seeing somebody else in perhaps a very different situation in a city or something deal with that would be potentially really interesting. And they do have room to maybe, you know, leave her somewhere at the end where she's kind of on a collision course for uh, the Abbots, for the family, and have some kind of, you know, quiet place crossover down the line. If that's something they're, I don't know if that's something they're planning or not, mm-hmm. but you could end, you could foresee something like that happening, couldn't you? Indeed. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, she's fantastic. Anything anything that um, she's doing instantly goes up the watch list. Yeah, and I like as well that this is not uh, post-apocalyptic. It's apocalyptic. Mm. Like, it's literally a story about how the apocalypse happens, which, you know, you don't see enough of these days. Lots of dystopian and post-apocalyptic. What about the pre- and yeah, in, I quite enjoy those those moments about how yeah, the world falls apart. Because remember when Fear the Walking Dead started and there was the thing that, oh, it's going to start with the end, and it does. But then it just skips massively. Yeah. It was like, we've already got a show about this. Yeah. Why have you done that? Just become... Yeah, I want to clone. see the end of days. Yeah. Not literally here. I mean, we're living in it now. But, you know, I, I mean, in fiction, where it's safe. I'm kind of with you. Like, that's one of the things I really enjoyed about, um, about The Stand for example, is that sort of granular yes. detail mm-hmm. of yeah. day by day, Definitely. things getting worse and worse. Or um, The Strain, I mm-hmm. think it does it brilliantly mm-hmm. as well. And that other vampire series, there was a books, three books, the sequels weren't as good as the first one. 
Was it Bram Stoker's Dracula? Bram Stoker's Dracula 2, even Dracula. No, it wasn't. And Draculaist. No. If you could think of the thing Helen is referring to in the abstract, <laughs> then please do write in to us. And, uh, the Passage! The oh, passage. The Passage, yes. Like, oh, see, the TV it got cancelled after one season. But, oh, I um, didn't even see the TV show. Yeah, but, the, no. but the first the, book is amazing. I've read, the first book is fantastic. And I then, never finished the series of the books, although I have them all. Um, yeah, Justin Cronin, wrote, written with his, uh, with his daughter. They used to go on long walks, and he wrote it as a, as a kind of with her, as in he wrote it and she came up with some ideas sure. for it. But, but the passage is really good. And also people should read Empire of the Vampire, which you told me about. Empire of the Vampire by J. Christoph, which is fucking brilliant. No, that is a kind of post-apocalyptic vampire yeah, novel, but it's, but it's so super good. good. It's so good. Uh, and the second one of those books, I think, is uh, reasonably imminent. So, Welcome yeah. to Book Club with James <laughs> Dyer and Helen O'Hara. It's very, very good. It's so good. You, I, honestly, the, the title's kind of sh- yeah. schlubby. but right? nerds with Empire your pages the and your so printed words. I did say that, actually, at the time. I was like, this, this, I, you know, I wouldn't have called it this because it, it, it feels like a book that it's not. It's so good. It's, okay. it's an amazing book. What's it, it called again? Empire of the Vampire. You think I'd remember that? You would. You would. Okay. Yeah, so good. Vampire anyway, of the Empire. We may okay. have gotten slightly off track, but okay. I think so it's worth it. Us, let's bring this back on track and talk about Brian Fuller because it has been announced that Mads Mikkelsen is going to start, you don't have to be Mads to work here, but it helps, is going to star in Brian Fuller's directorial debut on the big screen. So automatically better than all the stuff he's done on the small screen. And only kidding, Jimbo, I just <laughs> wanted to see what you would do. <sighs> And uh, it's going to be called Dust Bunny, and it's about an eight-year-old girl who believes that a monster has eaten her family. A monster under her bed has eaten her entire family, and she recruits her next-door neighbor, played by Mads Mikkelsen, to investigate Hannibal and to Lecter. help her fight this monster. So, yeah, obviously they worked together on three seasons of Hannibal. Sadly cancelled. We never knew ye. Yeah. Mm, really good. Literal cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. Very much so. And... Uh, on the small screen, Jimbo, you'll be delighted to know. It was also announced this week that Brian Fuller is going to, uh, he's got his next TV series lined up and it actually falls into our wheelhouse as well because it is a Friday the 13th prequel series called Without Jason. Crystal Lake. No, oh. with Jason. Uh, the article I read was saying that they literally can't have Jason. No, no. Uh, Brian has that Fuller, been resolved since? Brian Fuller uh, talked to Scott Wampler of the King cast mm. because he's a regular guest on that show and so Scott Wampler called him up for uh, whichever site Scott Wampler works for sorry Scott and <laughs> uh, they had a big old chat and he says that all aspects of the Friday the 13th saga are available for him to play with so interesting because the expect Jason I, I, as I understood from the very cursory glance I gave to the news story I read it was that the the rights to Friday the 13th part 1 are owned by different people to the rights to the sequel uh, according to Brian Fuller uh, it's a different kettle of fish when you come to the small screen right so on the okay. big screen they are so tangled up which is why there hasn't been a new Friday the 13th movie in donkey's years but on the small screen, apparently, he has it all. He can play with Pamela Furahees. He can play with Crystal Lake. He he says, one. we may even get to go to space one of these days. But <laughs> I mean, Jason's been there. He has indeed. So, yeah. So, there you go. Very exciting. I'm excited. Are you excited? This is my excited a, face. A slasher movie, a splasher TV show. Hey, Brian Fuller's amazing. So, yeah. yes, 100% for everything uh, he does. He's, he's great. I love him. I don't love Friday the No, neither do I. But I'd watch his Friday the 13th. Yes. Like, because I was a big, like, don't make a Hannibal TV series. No one can talk Sons of the Lambs. And yet, it's amazing. So. That's true. Yeah. I'm and more excited for the Mads Mikkelsen thing. That sounds, yeah. That yeah. Dust great. Bunny sounds awesome. That yeah. sounds extremely up my street. All right. Guest time. 
Daniel Radcliffe. Woo. We like him, don't we? We do. Mm-hmm. We do. He was in some films as he a boy was. wizard. The name escapes me right now. <laughs> uh, but since then, there's been a lot made about how Batchett and saying Daniel Radcliffe's career has been <laughs> since he became an adult and left Harry Potter behind. And it's true. It is absolutely true. He has more money than God, so he can do what he wants and he doesn't really care. And <laughs> it's amazing. So he gets to pick really interesting filmmakers and really interesting material. Uh, so he gets to do things like Swiss Army Man. Or he gets to do things like be the bad guy in The Lost City, which is when, of course, he was on the podcast last. And uh, we love having him on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I was delighted to have him on for Weird, uh, which is out this week, in which he plays Weird Al Yankovic, the uh, very famous... American comedian who perhaps hasn't crossed over here as much. You know, I've I was I I was fairly resistant to his charms. And this movie actually helped break down some some doors for me with Weird Al Yankovic, who is a comedian and a musical parodist, shall we say. And this is a very very funny biopic that um, does not purport to be Weird Al Yankovic's real life in any way, shape, or form. And Daniel Radcliffe is hilarious in it. And I caught up with him on Zoom a couple of weeks ago. He was in New York. I was here, not in the studio, but somewhere else. And uh, we had a bit of a giggle. So do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined once again on the Emperor Podcast by the star of Weird, the Al Yankovic story, Mr. Daniel Radcliffe, returning champion. How are you? Hello. Good. Very well. Thank you. How are you? Thank you for having me back. Wh- where are you at the moment? Are you in New I York? Am, I am in, I'm in a, a floating black void in, in, uh, in New York. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which means it's 8 a.m. over there. It is, yes. It's uh, yeah. It's early, but it's uh, no. It's not. It's um, it's very nice to be. But I haven't been in New York for. I've been like in and out of the city a lot. Um, and I really sort of miss being able to just be here. And I, I got back from my my girlfriend was shooting something in Canada, and we flew back the other day. And now I am in New York for the foreseeable future, which is very nice. <laughs> in the black void. <laughs> in the black void. Back back in the void where I like it. Yeah. Is this where you live in the void? You just... uh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a very, it's a very, uh, you know, it's a super luxury black void. Um, <laughs> so you'd like to come here and unwind and just float around and, <laughs> yeah, and, and think about exactly. stuff existentially. And just hang and yeah. really, you know, just, yeah. So is New York home for you these days? Um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of, it sort of is more, more and more. Um, I think, you know, during the, the pandemic, uh, I, I came over here and I, Ended up spending basically the entire pandemic in the first two years of it, at least uh, in America, um, and so I feel like yeah, it, it feels like that uh, more and more now. I'm, I'm obviously like still back and forth to to London and America, but but mm. sort of more and more in in New York. And what about the accent? Do you find that you're no, I'm having no problems keeping my accent. I think I become okay. like m- more English. I think I uh, I'm yeah. There's no. I think there's words that if I was to come back to the UK, I'd say, you know, uh, I'd because there are certain things like lift. You just don't say that because no one understands what you mean. So no. you say elevator and uh, like things like that or like trash can instead of bin. Because if you need a bin in a hurry and no one need and no one knows what what you're saying, that's annoying. So you you tend to like go for the path of least resistance a lot of the time, and then uh, and that and that sort of sticks. But in terms of the actual sound of my voice i like to think there has been no no change well that's good that's good uh yeah trash can i, I was getting a little offended there by trash can but you you reasoned it out and i and <laughs> okay. I, I went with it it's good i accept your rationale <laughs> that, that, right. that works for me uh so you haven't found yourself 
you know, going across the street and you're going, I'm walking here, I'm walking here. You don't, you, you don't <laughs> <Yeah>. do that. <laughs> I mean, as a, as a, as a joke, yes. Um, <laughs> definitely. As a, as a, as a, I'm, I'm in New York and I should make this joke, joke. Yes. Uh, but, but not actually in any sincere way. Okay. But the, the New York rage, which, you know, which, which I think is, is pretty, you know, probably, you know, symptomatic for people in all big cities, but you, you haven't, you haven't been succumbed. You haven't succumbed no, to that. I'm still very, like, if a cab hits me, my reaction is to be, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I think that's that's more likely. <laughs> Get out of the way, you goddamn limey. That's for, yes, those no, are right. I'm terrible. I shouldn't have been here. Let <laughs> me just wipe my blood off your windshield. I'm, I'm so sorry about that. Is it windshield or windscreen? Oh God, I'm getting confused by myself. Oh. But uh, are you a natural with accents? Because your accent in this movie, Dan, is very, very, very good. I have to say. Thank you. I think it's something that I've definitely gotten better at, and I think there are some accents that. I can, there are some accents that I can do fairly easily. There are some accents that I can do if I work really hard on them. And then there are some accents that I'm pretty certain I will never be able to do. Such as? Um, Scottish. Just absolutely, like, I have had to say to my agent on more than a I was like, you can't, I don't think you can ever send me anything for a Scottish character because it's just bad. Like, and, and it's not like, yeah, it, it's just it would be a real offence to the to the nation of Scotland if I was to uh, if I was to ever do that. So I I'm I'm not promising to never do it, just right. in case. Uh, but uh, in case I do suddenly get good at it one day, but I think it's highly unlikely. Um, but yeah, American is okay. Uh-huh. Uh, Irish and Australian are sort of uh, all right. Um, the ones that I found incredibly hard were I, I did Israeli for Jungle, mm-hmm. and that's like I. I was really, yeah, that was that was very tough. And South African um, was tricky, but I, but but honestly, not nearly as hard as Israeli. Israeli's the one that still I was just like I was having to break it down by like absolutely just phonetic sounds on each word just to try and make it because I couldn't every time because there's there are some sounds that sound French to my ear and then there are some yeah. sounds that sound almost Russian and then you and then if you're sliding between those two things that's that's not good either so yeah I um so there are some accents I love doing and they can be really fun and then some that I'm like oof this is this is a test that's fascinating to me, man. And I promise you we're going to talk about weird in a, in a second. But this is a nice way to get into weird, actually, because yeah. it's about the mechanics of acting and about at what point you as an actor feel safe enough with something like an accent or something like a, a bit of business, like an accordion, for example, to be able to, this is, okay, this is now second nature, uh, playing the accordion, doing, you know, getting the fingering right, uh, for right. a better phrase. That is now second nature, and I can I can yeah. focus on delivering what this scene needs me to deliver. So, for example, with with Jungle and that accent, the Israeli accent, was there a point where like, a long speech, for example, that you just dreaded because you didn't quite have it down, or you had it down at the beginning, but then by the end it might waver? I can't remember what they were exactly, but I'm sure there would have been moments of being like, oh God, I this, that word is really hard and it needs to, you know, yeah, it's, but I'm... I think it's one thing with accents and you do definitely like the like my American accent at this point I think it's just a function of being like in the industry today and wanting to work in America you kind of go like you have to have a decent you you have to at least try and have a decent American accent mm-hmm. um and and it's very useful if you can so it's something that I was always like I was okay at when I started and I 
spent more time around Americans than a lot of young English people would have. So like I had more ex a lot of exposure to it. Um, and a lot of people have said that I sound like I'm from Ohio in my accent, which is where Chris Columbus is from, who directed the first two Potter movies. So <laughs> there's, a, there's a pretty good chance that I'm just mimicking him on some level. Um, but, uh, but with something like The Accordion, it can kind of work the other way where rather than getting to a point where you're like, okay, I'm now comfortable enough to do this, I, that I can do this well enough so that I can do it without thinking and do the scene. Actually, like sometimes as an actor, it's really nice to have something that's not the scene to think about when you do the scene. Mm -hmm. um, I like, because it sort of removes like self-consciousness from the process. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I'm having to like think about doing stuff with an accordion, because I know the scene, I don't have to worry about like knowing my lines or that is the part that is like pretty, not effortless, but like I, 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 I know I will know my lines when I'm on set. Okay. So like, once you know that, you can be like, oh, yeah, now I'm just like playing with the accordion. I'm kind of focusing on that like a human being w w might and just sort of getting the lines out. It's sort of, um, yeah, it it stops you just concentrating on how you want that line to sound or what's happening in that moment and sort of which is not how people talk to each other generally. Yes. Um, you know, you're saying something while you're doing something and that's that it feels sort of quite real. So I find stuff like that can sort of uh, release you from, from the, I, that's a very rambly answer, but it hopefully there's makes some sense in that. No, absolutely. So, so you are fully prepared when you go on set, you know, you know your lines backwards. I have to be because I don't know. Uh, I know there are a bunch of people who are very comfortable. Um, just, you know, like I, I, yeah, I, I can't, relax in the run-up to a project and like the only thing that you can do to try and control things or to try and affect the outcome of a project before it starts is to prepare um and to pre whatever that means for that job that might just mean knowing the script really well and learning all your lines but in this case there was some like dance stuff and you know my my thing is that i never want um I never want to be the the reason that anyone is waiting on set, um, and particularly on a on such a short shoot like this. I was like, you, we don't have time to. And that was what was amazing about you know when Evan came in on Weird and, and all the other actors came in. It was it was everyone who came in immediately like got it. Mm -hmm. saw what it was, were like, understood the tone of it, and also understood that you were going to get a probably a maximum of three takes. Um, so like, so then you there was like, that removes a certain amount of like, no one could be precious, and no one was and everyone just got on with it in a really, um, in a, a really cool way. That's amazing. And I, I, I've, one of the things I mean, I think this this film is demented. And <laughs> yes. I, I love that it gets more demented with each gloriously giddy second. Uh, and it is not the film that you would think it's going to be by, by the end. And that's all I'm going to say on that. But there's a scene about halfway through that is basically what the, the portal scene in Avengers Endgame is, but for comedy. And it's just, <laughs> it's just, you know, incredible comedic legend after co incredible comedic yeah. legend after incredible comedic legend just showing up. And at one point you're going, is that Emo Phillips as yeah. Salvador Dali? And <laughs> it is, it's Emo Phillips as Salvador yes. Dali. That's the kind of yes. movie this is. Yes. What was that scene like for you? And in terms of preparation, you've got all these people who are so good at improv, you've got three takes. How does that work? Right. I mean, that scene was definitely, uh, that was, we'd obviously all, 
had that marked on the call sheet on, on the schedule very early on as like wow won't that be a fun day but also oh it's so crazy we only have half a day to shoot that <laughs> insane scene um and yeah and and so yeah as you say the 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 amount of people in there uh, thankfully, like I knew a couple of them um, through miracle workers. So Paul F. Tompkins was there, and, and mm-hmm. Yorma Takomi, um, and, and a couple of other people. That I sort of I knew a bit, so it was nice to it was nice to have some friendly faces in the audience of like comedians watching me play Weird Al because <laughs> um, that was very intimidating. But I did. I mean, I will take to my grave the fact that I made Jack Black laugh. Uh, at one point off camera that day um, and that you know the, the the small child in me that grew up very very obsessed with Jack Black uh, was uh, delighted by that um, but yeah that it, it was it was uh, it, with the with the improv stuff I think everyone you know Eric manages his time really well so he obviously like got everything he needed but then he did just mm. do a couple of runs of just like okay now we're focused on you Yorma do the peewee dance like do the you know and just like and, and and getting everyone so getting little bits from everyone but I think on on a film like this which you know whereas obviously it's it's the whole movie is there to honor Al uh, no one was coming in being like hey I'm gonna do my bits like I've got I've got my stuff practiced that I'm gonna everyone's like no no one's there trying to out comedian each yeah. other uh, yeah. there was there was there wasn't any of that all right and uh, I, I, and as you say you play weird Al Yankovic uh, and you know we're Brits and I don't know necessarily that he really broke out over here and he's a bit of a he's a bit of a blind spot for me, comedically speaking. So this movie right. was very useful for me in, in, in you know in terms of it's not entirely serious, obviously in terms of his life <laughs> and history, but it was very useful in terms of filling in some of the blanks for me with him. Right. When this first came your way, how well how well first were you with Weird Al? See, I'd become pretty well versed by the time I got the script because um, so I knew a little bit of Al stuff from when I was a teenager because I was into Tom Lehrer and I got sent down a, an iTunes. Uh, you might also like this sort of rabbit hole. So I had sort of a few of Al songs, right? Um, but it was really when I date I started dating my girlfriend uh, over ten years ago now, and her and her fa- whole family are obsessed Al fans, like. Erin has been to at least three concerts. Um, her, her brother snuck backstage at an Al concert once with a when he had a broken arm and a cast on, and Al signed his cast. Um, so for Christmas around there or New Year, it was always there was a lot of Al playing, and so there was a sort of gradual like uh, introduction through that. And so by the time. By the time I got to the the movie being offered to me, I had had sort of seven or eight years of like pretty intensive uh, indoctrination, um, and I was fairly, you know, I was like a fan myself at that point. Um, so it was, yeah, it and honestly that was the, uh, the biggest pressure I felt. I was like, man, if I screw up in this movie, uh, my Erin's my dad's gonna, I don't know, <laughs> he'll, he'll be furious. Never mind Al <laughs> himself, it's Erin's dad. Right. Yeah, That's it. it was literally, it was my order of like. Of of priorities was like Al, Eric, Aaron, and her family. So have you got the thumbs up? Have you got the approval? Um, he hasn't seen it yet. It's not oh. out yet, so he, he hasn't seen it. But um, yeah, they, he, I think he has. He's got a Roku, so yeah, he'll be he'll, he'll be seeing November fourth. Um, <laughs> Tell him to drop me a line. I've got a link. I can I can send him. Okay. <laughs> 
that's cool. It's good that you have that. It's nice for you to set him up like that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, Dan, Dan's not doing it. He's not going to set you up. I'll set I, up. Person I, don't you've never met before. I don't have access. No, no, you couldn't possibly do that. You can't pirate your own films. This no, is outrageous. not that I'm pirating. I'm not offering to pirate. Go to the website. Yes, or if you're in England, watch it on Sky. I think that's what's happening. Yes, <laughs> video piracy is a crime. Do not accept it. Um, yes, so let's not go down that path anymore. But uh, but Al himself, he's in this film. He's very funny in this film. Um, what was that like? When did you first meet him? Um, so we first met on Zoom to talk about the script uh, years ago. At this point. And um, it was me, him and Eric, the co-writer and director. And, you know, he was what everyone says he is, which is uh, just a really lovely, sweet, um, funny man, but also very kind. And, and you know, he'd like he'd, he I, I can't remember if it was that conversation or a later conversation, but he made it apparent. He was mentioning films that I'd done and he'd like watched, he'd watched so many of my films, Chris. It was so sweet. And like, not all the ones that I would be like, watch that one. Like he'd what he'd really gone it. Like he'd done a lot of them, which was really sweet. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's just, he's, um, he's a legend who also somehow manages to be like incredibly like, humble and unaffected by it and just, I think, loves what he does. I mean, it's, it's a testament to how much he loves what he does. The, when we did TIFF, he had flown in from Colorado. He played a show in Colorado the night before, flown in, did a day of press, did the premiere that was, like, at midnight, did the Q&A at 1.45 in the morning, and then <laughs> flew back to Colorado to do a show the next night. You know, he it's like a 180 date tour or something that he's done this year. You can't do that unless you love it. Um, And and unless you because, you know, he doesn't need to anymore. So he wants to and he loves doing it and loves playing with his band. And he's the band has all been together for, I think, you know, 30, 40 years. And he's just uh, it's he's really he's somebody that you look at and go like, I feel like you really you really nailed this life thing. (laughs) You've <laughs> done very well. You've done it. So therefore, I don't. I'm not going to quibble anymore about getting up at 8 a.m. to do some interviews. You know, if Al's doing that, that's basically the the, the well, life exactly. lesson. Exactly. Yes, and, and 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 that. Yeah. All right. So uh, I've got you to go in a second, but uh, you share a scene with Al Yankovic, which got me thinking: if one day there was a Daniel Radcliffe biopic, and you had to share a scene with whoever gets cast to play Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. What scene would you choose? What's a pivotal moment from your life that you would like to be present for the recreation of? <laughs> oh God, literally none. Um, <laughs> we'll see. But for the sake of this answer, what would it be? Um, uh, n- not in a, a completely direct way, but in, in no small part, Mag- Maggie Smith was quite um, important in me getting the part on Potter because we had worked together on David Copperfield, and she liked me off on that and so she recommended me for Potter so that that you can say is quite a pivotal moment so you could you could have the moment where I walked up to her at the uh, dress rehearsal for uh, the dress rehearsal the like the the table read for David Copperfield and my first words out of my mouth were would you like me to call you Dame as like a little nine-year-old which she found incredibly funny and I guess like liked me from then on so I guess you know that one. I'm playing Maggie, I suppose, and it's, uh, it's, a, and, it's a flex. And 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 Elijah Wood uh, <laughs> is the obvious choice to play me at any stage. Elijah Wood um, as, a, as a nine-year-old Daniel Radcliffe, <laughs> but just for that one scene because he obviously yes, he look, has look, to. It's surreal. It's so uh, we're not doing a naturalistic version of this. It's yeah. Weird has shown us the way. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Uh, you heard it here first, folks. Coming to coming to the cinema <laughs> screens near you. Elijah Wood is Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe is Dame Maggie Smith. Uh, in uh, I'm going to call it Rad. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would go. actually be a re- yeah. If, if for the for a film that will never be made, that is a very good title. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, Daniel Radcliffe, always a pleasure, man. Thanks so much indeed. Awesome. Thank you very much, Chris. Cheers Speak to you soon. Take care. Take care. Bye. Okay, so that was Daniel Radcliffe, and now it's time to talk about this week's movies that are out in your multiplex and on your sofaplex, and by Christ, there's a lot of them, I think. (laughs) They are trying to clearly (laughs) get out of the way of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, opens next week, so as a result, approximately 435,000 films are released this week. One of those films, by the way, is Hellraiser, the (laughs) eagerly anticipated Hellraiser movie, which... Then suddenly, you know, we were we were asking about it. When's it going to show up? We'd like to review this movie. We'd like to do interviews for this movie. And then it kind of just dropped out of nowhere for rent and for Ray purchase uh, this week. And I haven't seen it yet. I just haven't had time to see it yet, but I do want to see it. So we'll, we'll talk about it on next week's show. We'll also talk about the Florence Pugh movie, The Wonder, on next week's show. But those movies are out. Let's start with Weird. Hell's Bells. Yeah, this is... Honestly, one of my favorite comedies I've seen in absolutely ages. I I kind of adore it, if I'm honest. So it, it purports to be the true story of Weird Al Yankovic, played with utter commitment by Daniel Radcliffe, um, and a completely straight face throughout absolute commitment to the role. So um, his parents don't really appreciate his musical talents as he grows up and tells them that he like he would like to make a living putting new words to other songs that already exist. But luckily, Yankovic is discovered by uh, Rain Wilson's Dr. Demento and uh, becomes a parody song superstar with, with, you know, mainstream superstars just dying for his support and attention because the Yankovic bump will send them straight to the top of the charts. But meanwhile, amid all of this, of course, he is tempted by the uh, by the downsides of fame, and uh, in particular by a femme fatale in the shape of <laughs> Evan Rachel Wood's Madonna, um, who is the bad guy of the piece. Um, <laughs> this, this to me, look, I really like uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. I, I, I think it's a really fun, mm-hmm. um, you know, spoof or satire of music biopics. I feel like this is even better at spoofing the music biopic and the fact that it is made with the cooperation and indeed involvement of Weird Al himself, who appears in a small cameo here, only makes it more fun to me. I think I think it is spectacularly silly, but it still hits all of those kind of cliched moments of, you know, genius inspiration suddenly hitting and, uh, you know, the, the kind of uh, star cameos to show that this person was around at a particular point in history and met all these other famous artists at the time. It is... It is inspired. Even just the title card made me laugh. I, I, I could not love it more. You know, there are moments in the middle where the, the laugh level dips a little bit, but it's at mm. such a high rate that I feel like it can afford to. And uh, yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Bravo, everybody involved. It is, it is a fantastic, fantastic piece. It's directed by Eric Apple, who did the Funnier Die sketch that sort of inspired them to go to, to full movie length. And my only big um, problem with this is that I think too few people are going to get the chance to see it in a packed cinema like I did. Yeah. Most people are going to be trying to figure out what the fuck the Roku channel is and where the hell it exists. <laughs> That's um, because, yeah, this is a Roku channel. It's a it Roku channel exclusive. Yeah. And and look, you know, it, it, I happen to have a Roku on my TV. I will be able to get it. 
Um, but what, I, what is it? It is. It's like a. It's like a way to turn your TV into a smart TV. It, it oh, oh, oh. you can actually it. get Roku TVs as well. Or you, you can mm. get Roku TVs. Or there, apparently there's some kind of app that you can get so you can see yeah, it even if Roku you don't app. have any of the Roku devices. I don't know. I'm not a tech person. Ask someone else. My point is, it's going to be difficult for people to find it. And it's going to be particularly difficult for people to find in the cinema, and that is a shame because it is freaking hilarious and I love it. We gave it four stars. Yes, I mean, I I watched this actually in Toronto at the Midnight Madness screening. Of course um, you did. Which I'm very, yes, I feel very smug about. And it was genuinely one of the most enjoyable uh, cinema experiences I've ever had. The the it, I mean, I was incredibly jet-lagged and tired. I was like um, on a mix of coffee and beer. Um, and it was just insane. The crowd went wild for it like every joke was lapped up mm. um and i yeah you're absolutely right helen i think if, if you can like just pack as many people into your living room and, yeah, and watch it with a, a crowd it is a really really funny incredibly silly like just enjoyably daft film it's so stupid in a wonderful way i mean it it, it parodies so many fantastic music biopic cliches there's a bit which um, kind of takes the piss out of the. Uh, there's a there's a moment in Bohemian Rhapsody where they come up with uh, "We Will Rock You," mm. you know, which mm. is such a music biopic cliche. It's and they so have awful. that that version of 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 it in this film is is for my Bologna, where where Daniel Radcliffe just stares at a packet of Bologna for I would say a good thirty to forty <laughs> seconds. Just trying to find inspiration before it eventually does, as my Sharona is playing on the radio. Everyone's singing something different, and I appreciate that. I really do. Yeah, but it's it's just it's just a lot of fun. It's very 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 funny, and Daniel Radcliffe again proves himself to be you know one of the most chameleonic. Chameleonic yeah. uh, actors. Uh, That's him right there behind James. There he is. There he is. He is on the Jazz FM logo. He yeah. is. Should take a picture of that so people know what we're talking <laughs> about. Uh, <laughs> yes, you've just described a film that James will hate with every fiber yeah. of his being. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I considered watching it for this very podcast and then realised that it will be a fruitless endeavour. <laughs> no, there's kind of fruit in it. And it's I thought, I, I thought, I, you know, I thought I, if I want laughs, I'll go for the two and a half hour cut of the new All Quiet on the Western Front. <laughs> I thought that would deliver me more lols. Yeah, segue. Yeah. Good segue. All right, four stars then for uh, Weird, which does, as you heard in the interview with Daniel Radcliffe, have a scene that makes a Fainter's Endgame's portal scene look <laughs> like some sort of Amdram thing. Uh, it is It's on pretty much every major player in American comedy is in this scene. It's very, very, very funny indeed. Uh, not every major com- Not every no. major player. Obviously, James Corden is not in that scene. Uh <laughs> Uh, Jimbo, all right, you mentioned it, All Quiet on the Western Front. Yeah. You've you've seen it. I have. Uh, I am staggered. <laughs> <laughs> you have seen, James has seen more than one film this week, which yeah. is Three which other is fuckers. Great. Yeah, stick a pin in the calendar. <laughs> <laughs> Don't applaud that. That's a minimum. Don't applaud it. <laughs> James, bare minimum dire has, has done it again. That is me. So this is on Netflix, Jimbo, and this is a German language mm. version of the classic. The first German language version. Yes, indeed, of All Quiet on the Western Front. Yes, the novel by Eric Maria Remark, which was famously burned by the Nazis, and I guess recommendations don't come much higher than that. So it's been, what, two, 
films previously. This is its latest incarnation. Uh, this is a film that begins with a fox eating a man's face and somehow manages to get progressively more bleak from there as it goes on. This is perhaps the least feel-good movie in the history of cinema. I think there not there are not a lot of feel-good movies about World War One. I. I see what you're saying. <laughs> I see what you're saying. It's no Blackadder Goes Forth. But uh, it's, I mean, if you're looking for a film that kind of embodies the sentiment that war is hell, I think this is it. It's the story of uh, a young German teenager called Paul who, you know, swept up with nationalistic fervor, signs up to go to the front with his chums from school. They're all excited and pushing each other into bushes and laughing and all jocular until they get there and realize they have literally stepped into hell. Uh, And then you see them bit by bit get broken down and ground away by the horrors of trench warfare. And it has the kind of production values and budget that I think 1917 had. Like, it looks really, really... Like, every every sort of bloody stump and mud-smeared face. Like, it's just... The whole thing has a sense of scope and grandeur. There's an operatic sense to it. But it's it's brutal and it's horrific and it's deeply, deeply unpleasant. And it... You know, it categorizes the, the futility of war and the, and, you know, the arbitrary nature of death and how people meet their ends. And it's not, you know, grand sort of sacrifices and moments of glory. It's often something incredibly arbitrary. And there's a particular scene in this which takes place in a shell crater between uh, Paul and a French soldier, which was one of the most difficult things to watch of anything I've seen. The whole gamut of emotions you go through during this, what, it's about three, four-minute sequence. And it is... Beautifully shot uh, and directed by Edward Berger, and I do I I heartily recommend it. It defaults to the English language version when you fire it up on Netflix. I do entreat you to disable that and watch it in Is German with subtitles. Yeah, it's dubbed with English accents, and, it, and I think fundamentally it's not even about whether you like subtitles or not. It's like it is a Germanic film. It is from a German point of view, and it's about the German experience of that war. And I think having everyone go, "Hey, what? Hey, hello!" <laughs> just doesn't work at all. You need the German language, you need the sort of caustic sound of it, I think, really to get to get into the film, you know, and hear the sort of like sort of rousing nationalistic speeches from the mouths of the Kaiser. I think it's uh, again, it, it RP does it no favors. But uh, I, I thought this was great, John. You reviewed this for yeah. the magazine. You gave it four stars. I would entirely endorse that. I think it's it's a great film. But it's you know, if you're if you're hanging about on a Thursday night and you're looking for a bit of fluffy fun, maybe save it for the weekend. It's yeah, it's not fluffy fun, but it is. Epic in scale it and is. scope and uh, really worth your time. I think it is, you know, you, we've seen a million of these war films before, mm-hmm. so you sort of know how it will go, but but it's still like, it, it takes you on a journey. Yeah. And I, it's rare that a war film feels this sort of despairing. Like it's at the end of the war, the, the soldiers are starving. Yeah. They're, they're gaunt, they're pale, they're, they're just desperate. And they're, they keep getting sent over the top for these, you know, pointless, pointless exercises of war, right? It's going right to the point where the armistice is is, is signed. So, yeah. the the music is so oppressive. Oh God, yeah. It's like a sort of electronic synth. It's almost like a, a horror movie. Like yeah. it feels like overwhelming. It bludgeons you, yeah. all the way through. The whole film just beats you around the head with this thing. But it's yeah. it's incredibly effective. We've seen so much, as you say, World War One stuff. But yeah. you know, there, there's just I something not that meant, not 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 that much. Well, I suppose the image of it, not so much in yeah. films, but we like the like whether it be Black Adder or Wonder Woman. You know that. 
over-the-top, that trench warfare thing. Everyone kind of has in their idea the mechanics of it. But I think what this film does so effectively is show the futility and the madness of it and the yeah. horror of it. And from a German point of view, and I think that's actually really interesting because it shows you know, the reality of it, which is there were kids just on both sides being ordered to go to their deaths. You know, it wasn't about who's right and who's wrong, who's a goody, who's a baddie. It was just everyone was wrong. Because everyone was wrong. It was just a load of kids being killed. Uh, and that really comes across in this. And the, the it's so bleak and so, you know, oppressive. <laughs> so go watch it because it's really enjoyable. <laughs> Four stars. Better, Four stars better than having your face chewed off by a fox, Empire. Yes, uh, but at least you don't have to take a degree in order to be able to find it. It's on Netflix right now, uh, <laughs> which is good. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to see it. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Um, and uh, let's stick with the Sofaplex films for the time being. And Causeway, uh, which... The Giants Causeway? Uh, no, they're, they're normal-sized people. Uh, speaking of Brian Tyree Henry a few minutes ago, he is back in this film and he stars alongside Jennifer Lawrence. And this is a film she made, started filming a, a couple of years ago. Um, and it is finally out, and she is, she plays a soldier, someone who gets suffers a traumatic brain injury while serving overseas, and she comes back home to try and navigate her way through that, and strikes up an unlikely friendship with Brian Tyree Henry's mechanic. And this one is directed by Lila Nugabauer, and is reviewed by John Nugent, and it's on Apple TV Plus, by the way. Yeah, this one is, um, it's it's. I think the first thing to say about this is it's great to see Jennifer Lawrence back in a way you know she hasn't really been uh, she had don't look up last year but that's really the you know this is only maybe her second film mm-hmm. it's her second film back yeah in 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 like five years or so so and, yes, and she, she took time off after i think was it dark phoenix was her last film but even yeah. then before that was probably be red sparrow yeah and she took time off to become a mother and yeah Whatnot. And it and it's great to see her back. I mean, you you forget sometimes, especially in you know, like you say, the the, the X Men films, how great of an actor she is. She's really like spectacularly good. And you know, she got her start in indie filmmaking with films like Winter's Bone. And this this feels like it's of a piece with that. It's yeah. kind of uh, it's it's very stripped back and very understated kind of filmmaking. So like yeah, as you as you say, she plays this sort of army veteran in recovery. Um, and she moves back to her hometown, New Orleans, uh, to live with her mother, who feels a bit distant. Um, it's a bit of a complicated family situation. Her brother seems to be a, an addict of some sort as well. Um, and then, yeah, there is a, a, an unlikely friendship struck up with uh, a car mechanic played by Brian Tyree Henry. Uh, and that relationship is 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 really, I think, beautifully pitched. It's a sort of uh, a kind of platonic friendship. Yeah, the, the the sort of boundaries of that relationship aren't really defined especially well. But, you know, Brian Tyree Henry as well, we know is a fantastic actor. I think he's he's playing a kind of similar role to how he played in uh, If Beale Street Could Talk, where he, mm-hmm. he has a very small role in that, but it's very powerful, uh, sort of this, you know, quite charming, charismatic man who's clearly hiding a bit of pain. So together, they are a really interesting duo, it is understated almost to a fault, I would say. I think it is a very, very slow, quietly paced uh, and relatively uneventful drama. And I sort of wanted more stuff to happen or for there to be more exploration of these characters. I, 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 I kept getting the sense that there wasn't quite enough there or that they were just holding so much back. It was so restrained almost to its detriment. Mm. Um I, I, some people might feel differently. 
Uh, you know, I, th I think the, the performances just in themselves are so impressive and so considered and so carefully sketched that I, I think it's worth watching. But um, yeah, I, I did want a little bit more from it. Mm. Yeah, you're right. It's too elliptical sometimes. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, there's some really lovely imagery, uh, water-based imagery that I'm, you'll hear me talk about soon with, with Jennifer Lawrence and Lila Nugabauer, whose debut film it is, but she's been a, a, a big noise on the, on the theatrical scene in New York for, for a few years now. And you know, it's a very, very well put together movie. But uh, and it did affect me. It did. It did move me. And it's about guilt and grief, and you know the, the suppression of that. And it's about addiction, even on a certain level, also. Uh, and it wasn't the movie I thought it was going to be, mm. which I thought was going to be a, a movie about Jennifer Lawrence's slow physical recovery. But it gets that stuff out of the way pretty much very early on. And it's bananas about her slow mental and emotional recovery. Won't be for everyone, but you know, it's it's again, it's on your sofa plex if you want to check it out this weekend. Three stars, then, for Causeway. Uh, we're going to swing back along the pendulum here, if that's the, for want of a better phrase, and come to Jimbo for the next review. He's looking at me surprised because he's forgotten this movie's out this week, but it's a movie by two of your favorite filmmakers, Benson and Moorhead, and it's something in the dirt. Uh, yeah, so this this more than anything is evidence that Benson and Moorhead have not gone respectable. Because uh, obviously they did synchronic like with Anthony like, like Mel and Kim. Yes, <laughs> topical reference there. I could take, 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 take it or leave it. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so after doing Moon Knight, obviously got Loki season two coming up. They worked with Anthony Mackie in synchronic, so they they felt like they were escalating. They like, may may have left their films like Resolution and The Endless behind. Those kind of slightly batty lo-fi sci-fi films and then this is evidence that they have done no such thing because this is possibly the battiest of all their batty films uh, and this stars Benson as Levi who's this sort of uh, stoner wastrel in a, staying in an apartment building in LA and also in the apartment building is John uh, this is played by Aaron Moorhead and he's this kind of uh, slightly nebbish guy who is part of kind of an apocalyptic church cult thing and they're kind of, they're not friends. They have a slightly chalk and cheese relationship until walking through their apartment or the place that Benson is saying, uh, a quartz ashtray levitates in front of both of them. And they think, we have just discovered evidence of the supernatural. What are we going to do? We're going to make a documentary and sell it to Netflix, because obviously that is what you would do. So the two go out and buy some equipment and they sat down to document this sort of supernatural activity. Now, obviously because this is them, it's not an episode of the X-Files. It gets progressively weirder. There's a there's a wardrobe that starts singing Beethoven. There's an interdimensional kind of cactus plant. There's a lot of weird fucking shit happening. But they use this as an opportunity to explore everything from friendship to collaborative filmmaking. The film is dedicated to making films with your friends. And that's kind of what this is about. The two of them, these two guys, are trying to collaborate in a filmmaking process and they're being played by two guys who are collaborating in a filmmaking process. Yeah. Two guys who write, who direct, who act, who edit. One of them's the DP. One's like, the DP, one's they the writer. Are, but maxi hyphenates. Yeah. They do absolutely everything. And it's fascinating watching their relationship evolve and lash out at one another. Like they don't get on at all at times. And they're constantly pushing back on the creative process, but also mm -hmm. on what's actually happening. Because it's a very strange film. And it's an exploration, I think, in part of, you know, the American preoccupation with conspiracy theories. It takes a deep dive into kind of wingnut ideologies and there's a there's a weird portentous tattoo at one point. It's a very strange film. A very, very strange film. 
And it's really, really enjoyable as well. The only criticism I would have for it, which is a criticism I would also level, I think the next film we're likely to talk about, is a little bit too long. It, it's not quite as tight as their previous films, which have quite svelte runtimes. So I, at times I think maybe they could have shaved 20 minutes off this to make it perfect, but but I did really enjoy it. This I is a film I it four. Four. Yeah. Yeah, four. That's right. I, I would go with that. This is a film that they made uh, during lockdown, pretty mm. much the two of them. There are other people in the crew, but but very, very few. It was a, not literally a skeleton crew, because that would be a crew of skeletons, but it <laughs> uh, it was a skeleton crew. And Benson is the writer, Moorhead is the DP. Mm-hmm. They direct, you know, as James said. Uh, they do everything but the music and, 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 and whatnot. But uh, it's Benson's apartment. So they, yes. they, they shot it in Benson's it apartment. Is. Uh, which is which is absolutely wild, and in fact, I interviewed him. Uh, it'll probably be on next week's podcast, and they were also in that same apartment. But it's been gussied up a little bit since. It looks a bit better. Looks a bit better. Any levitating ashtrays? Or? Not that I no. saw. Not that I saw. But the zoom filter can can cut out all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I thought this was tr- this was terrific. I I love these guys. I think they're they're really really great, and uh, I I'm I hope that they will continue to take that the weirdness. Mm. Because their Moon Knight episode, well, they did two episodes, but they did episode four, which was the weirdest episode. And yeah, the fact that, you know, they're they're still able to impart their weirdness into some major big stream, big budget stuff bodes well for Loki season two. But yeah, this is great. Uh, And this is out for, uh, you can watch it, you can rent it. It's in the cinemas, I believe, as well, but you can also rent it at home also. Or buy it at home. It's something in the dirt and it is really, really good. So the film that James thinks we're going to talk about next, which is Overlong, I was going to go with Nola Holmes too. Yeah, yes, it, that is, is, what it, is. it is a little too Also long. fits the template of your uh, Curtis Tiger song. Enola Holmes. Does it? Yeah. Go on, give and it a go. Enola Holmes. Yeah. No, 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 no. See, there's a better one. Enola Holmes, because there's a song called Enola Gay. Oh. So it's already... Fine. Yeah. It's taken care of. Carry on, Helen. Thanks so much. Um, Helen, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, super good. Um, so yeah, in all the homes too, uh, this sees our heroine played by Millie Bobby Brown again. Um, That's her trying, prerogative. Trying to get, good Lord. <laughs> trying to get her detective consulting agency off the ground. She wants to compete against her older brother, Sherlock, played by, played by Liam Cavill. Hemsworth. <laughs> <laughs> what, if we, what if we started the movie played by Henry Cavill and finished it played by Liam Hemsworth? I mean, it'd be a swing, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> but yeah, she she wants to she wants to uh, compete with him on his level. The problem is he keeps getting the credit publicly for the case she previously solved. Most of her clients really want to talk to him and not her, and uh, dismiss her as a girl who can't do anything. That changes when a young girl comes in and says, "My sister's gone missing from the match factory." Um, I need your help and actually is looking for Enola and Enola goes undercover in the match factory to try and figure out what's happening there and uncovers nefarious goings on. No! There is a lot of twisty-turning stuff in this film, um, as you'd expect. Uh, There are some good supporting cast members. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter is back as her mum and has a little bit more to do this Mm. time, a little bit. Uh, Louis Partridge is back as Tewkesbury, um, who's totally a love interest um, and there's, so there's a bit more development there on that Ooh. side of things this time and David Thewlis is here as a comically sinister policeman um, so uh, I wonder if he'll be up to no good or not no prizes for guessing does he have any um, terrible experiments um, well that would be telling um, Adil Akhtar is also back as Lestrade um, and you also have people like uh, Susan Wakoma is back as Edith and Sharon Duncan Brewster from our beloved 
I love when you do this when he just says, Sharon Duncan Brewster. He's so blank. What do we agree on? <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say. Peter, you've lost in news. <laughs> <laughs> She I said don't. she didn't like it, but she had to go along with it. <laughs> I don't know the name, oh, I'm God. sorry. Sharon Duncan Brewster from Dune. Dune! Yes, no, oh yes, no, he is in Dune. No, that is in no, no. I completely, I completely blanked on that. I completely well, blanked on that. You're a disgrace. Wow. You're a disgrace to the Dune fandom. I am. You're banished from the sisterhood I am. of the, what's it? Traveling yeah. pants, I believe. I mean, was. and this is oh, speaking of people who are returning, yeah. so it's still Jack Thorne writing and Harry Bradbeard directing. It yes. is, yes. So they are still in place, which is good. And I think what I like about this film is that it does have a little bit of a social message as well as all the silliness. Um, Millie Bobby Brown, I thought, was was good in it. I find Enola herself sometimes a little hard to warm to, and there, there's some plot developments here that didn't 100 work for me in terms of you know, bad guy reveals and so on. Yeah. Um, but at it's the David same Thewlis, time, isn't it? Name it the oldest. Name the oldest. But it, it is fun, and I think if I was if I was 10 years old, I would love it. I think the problem is I'm not the target audience. No, I think I think that's true because it has that you know like like BBC show like it has the kind of the dominoes falling moments where they figure out the mysteries, which is a lot of fun, mm. and I quite like those. They're they're a bit hit and miss because some of them are quite clever and some of them are very much obvious not yeah I, and and some of that way of depicting how clever the Holmeses are is becoming a cliche to me at this point after the Robert Downey Jr. Mm. films and the, the BBC Sherlock I feel like oh I've seen them it's, and it's the same device isn't it it's the, and again. then if you look at this piece of lint which no one could have possibly seen that clearly show, yeah there's a lot of that a lot of zooming in and yeah. zooming out yeah, and yeah. which is it. fun but it's, fun, it's a but bit like, overdone like, is there no other way of mm explaining that smart people are smart. You know? I find her very, very charming. And I also really like Liam Hemsworth in this. I think he's great. And <laughs> uh, and I think it's good that he has more to do in this one yes. than he did in the first one because he's he's delightful. Yeah. Toss um, a coin to your Sherlock. That's right. I would give it three stars. I would personally it's a, it, it feels like none more three stars could be on the poster quote for this. All right, screw it. Three stars <laughs> then for Nola Holmes too. Um, what's next? I mean, there's so many films. Stop. I, I mean, again, I beseech you. I don't want a pandemic. I don't want a pandemic. I don't want another one. <laughs> but stop making films. Stop making films. <laughs> stop it. Just for a second. Jesus. Living and Cold Jane are also out this week. Helen, yes, you've seen both of those. I have. <laughs> can you tell us about them, please? Yes, I can. <laughs> so, uh, Cold Jane is uh, set in 1968 in Chicago, and uh, Elizabeth Banks plays Joy who is uh, denied an abortion even though uh, it, she literally needs it to save her life. Like, she mm. is uh, absolutely um, at, at serious 50% risk of death if this pregnancy continues because she's having heart problems. With the medical profession literally not caring and barely talking to her face, uh, she discovers the Jane Collective, which is an underground movement of feminist activists who are helping women get much-needed abortions. And uh, she ends up being sort of recruited by the head of this group, who's played by Sigourney Weaver, to to try and help out with their their cause. This is all directed by Phyllis Nagy, who's best known, of course, for writing Carol, which is an incredible film. Um, and, you know, this does sometimes feel very much like a sort of lightly fictionalized true story, you know, with the sort of inspirational beats you ex expect. It doesn't always have quite as much... Um, 
peril as I think you want to feel from this because these women were breaking the law and were at risk and were putting themselves at risk because they you know they weren't able to go to safe sterile hospitals mm. and and have the medical procedures done properly they were depending on some dudes to carry out uh, abortion safely um so th- there isn't always the sense of of peril and sort of impetus that way that you kind of want from the film is the wrong word but expect maybe from this story but at the same time, it's it's fascinating, especially in the current climate, especially in the wake of the Dodds decision in the U.S. Supreme Court, um, to see just how you know desperate women can help each other and how women have coped in the past with this incredibly unjust situation. So there's a real sense of kind of the sisterhood of it and the the, the cooperativeness of it and the sort of the radical nature of these women who are just you know desperately trying to help each other out in the middle of all this. And there's really good support from the likes of Winmi Musaku as, you know, one of these uh, activists who is quite correctly pointing out the fact that most of the women they're helping end up being middle class and white because they're the ones who can afford the fees. And how can they do more to help the women who are most desperate and most in need of their help? Um, You've got uh, Kate Mara as as Joy's next door neighbor, you know, a fellow Republican when this yeah. starts out. And yeah, Chris Messina's her husband, oh. who's just kind of baffled by all of this and, and you know, largely oblivious to it. It is a really good snapshot of the era. It doesn't always go maybe as, as sharp, as I say, or as as kind of thrillery almost at times as I'd like, but um, but a very uh, good performances from, from all the women. All right. Uh, yeah, sounds good. Three stars. Yeah. We gave this one. Three stars in for Call Jane. But last but not least is Bill Nighy and perhaps... His greatest role, which is saying something. Living, Jane Huge. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would say it's a fairly like safe uh, statement to say that this is the best Bill Nye he's ever been. I, I, it's I, certainly up there. Come now, it's no love actually. It is no love actually, and it's all the better for it. Quite frankly, <laughs> this is um, this is a remake uh, of the Akira Kurosawa film uh, Ikiru. Uh, which is, you know, a sort of very understated masterpiece sandwiched between uh, Seven Samurai and Rashomon. Uh, but it's not a samurai film. It's, a, you know, a, a beautiful post-war Japan film about an accountant who has uh, a terminal diagnosis and then decides to uh, seize life with both hands. Um, and this is transplants the action from Japan to post-war London. So the original was a sort of contemporary setting this is now a, a period piece but the the transfer is beautifully done it's adapted by um Katsuo Ishiguro who's a, obviously a very famous British Japanese novelist and there's some lovely parallels in those two settings in in that sort of 1950s conservatism Bill Nye's character Mr Williams works for London County Council and there's a sort of you know the bureaucracy of that time and the stiff upper lips and the three piece suits and all this sort of thing and coming to this realization that maybe, you know, there's more to life than just a meticulous routine. I don't know. It's just beautifully done. It's mm. it's gorgeous, gorgeous sort of classical filmmaking. It's, it's filmmaking in a very sort of old-fashioned uh, sense. There's some unbelievably beautiful visuals. There's Sandy Powell costuming. There's very sort of rich modernist cinematography and lovely production design. It's very evocative of the, of the time period and the place. But um, yeah, I think that more than anything, it's it's Bill Nye's show. This is this is a Bill Nye, uh, if there's any justice, award-winning performance. Mm. I think he is very understated and restrained, but also kind of heartbreaking 
Uh, and, and, you know, he's playing someone towards the end of his life. And you really get a sense of that. You get a sense of the weight and mortality uh, and age just bearing down on him. Um, and yeah, I, I was blown away by, by him and the film. And yeah, uh, yeah I loved it. Yeah, it's um, it's Oliver Hermanus, the the South African director, and he does have a real feel for these these characters. And it's not we should say it's not a one man show. What I loved about the film mm. actually is that it's not an overnight transformation. Like he gets a terminal diagnosis and like, well, I guess I'm going to cut loose now and buy a new hat. It's not you like know. Last Holiday with Queen Latifah. Hey, that is I will defend <laughs> that film. I really like that film. Um, but it, the, no, but it is more of a sort of a slow burner kind of. Well, what do I do now? How do mm. you know? It's it it throws things up in the air, but it doesn't instantly change who he is. It's a sort of very gradual process of well, if this is happening, what does that mean? And where does that leave me? And how do I cope? And he sort of helped along the way. He is a he goes off to the seaside at one point and meets um, Tom Burke as this kind of loud, um, unrestrained, uh, would-be writer who's just kind of wasting his life away there. Um, and, and he sort of tries that on for a size and doesn't quite fit. And he gets a little bit further along with with the sort of the young people in his office. So there's Alex Sharp's character and Amy Lou Woods, who's who's fantastic, is this kind of ray of sunshine in the office. And and then he begins to think, okay, maybe there's something I can do that will give my life a, a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning. And he has to find that for himself. And I I I thought that was just really, really beautifully done. Um I mean look, if you're gonna remake Akira Kurosawa, you kind of need <laughs> A, a sort of which has uh, been done <laughs> it has famously. been done but yeah. like you know if you're if you're going to i feel like you need a sort of an ishiguro to 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 justify it. you need a nobel prize mm. winner to to sort of give you the the you know the, the intellectual heft to do that and i think but i think this is beautifully understated underplayed and and really played for realism even james might like it because it's realistic enough that he might enjoy the funny <laughs> bits you know who knows seems doubtful actually talking does, about this yeah. uh, when we were leading into this and talking about how Richard Curtis for your yes. Mount Rushmore comedy. Do you know what? That's mm. a very, very good point. Richard Curtis would 100% be on my Mount Rushmore because I am obsessed with all of his comedies. So, yeah, Notting Hill, Four Weddings, so I don't think my beloved love, actually. I don't all think he did a fourth. I don't think he did a fourth. Well, then he's my fourth. There you go. 100%. Like, there you go. My Rushmore is complete. Look, John looks fucking disgusted by this. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's wrong. Um, it, it is not. I mean, it is the only correct answer. For the boat that rocked alone. <laughs> that's right. That's for right. Boat that rocked AKA alone. Pirate Radio. Uh, anyway, uh, what I'm saying is, yes, we've got a fourth Mount Rushmore and we've got a new five-star film. Love Actually. Bill Nye, he's great in Love Actually and he's even better in Living Actually. So, there you go. Five stars we've given this. I, I still want the Oscar for Colin Farrell though, I'm sorry. Ooh, oh, that's Ooh. a, oh, I, oh, I don't Ooh. know now. I don't know. Well, I'm going to see that tonight. Uh, Farrell can go into supporting for the Penguin. How about that? Eh, I don't want him to win for the penguin. No, no, no. Let let them both Make have hair it. Makeup really. Let them. They're both lovely a tie. lads. Hurrah. Yeah, yeah. It's been too long since we had a tie. It yeah. has been. Yeah. All right. Five stars then for living sounds fantastic, and I think that's it. Are there, has anyone made a film in the last hour <laughs> and released it? Probably four stars for that film. Well done <laughs> for, for whatever you've done. Oh my God. I hope it's not a snuff movie. Anyway, that is it for the review section of the show. We have two more guests. Jennifer Lawrence and Lila Neugebauer. You've heard us talk about their film. Yes, we gave it three stars, but that's still a recommendation. And I would also recommend this interview that I did with them a couple of weeks ago when they were in town for the LFF. But I, because I had COVID, 
was doing this for my home. So there you go. We talked about the movie and stuff. Do I remember what we said? No. Was it fun? Probably. Enjoy? Hey everyone, it's me again. Just jumping in real quick to let you know that I've listened back to the interview and I now remember a couple of things I should point out beforehand. We do discuss certain spoilerific things in the interview. So perhaps wait until you've seen Causeway and then come back. It's not a spoiler special by any stretch of the imagination, but we do discuss certain plot stuff. Uh, we talk about the name of Jennifer Lawrence's new production company, Excellent Cadaver, which has an excellent name. And Jennifer Lawrence did this funny thing because we were on Zoom, where if I asked a question, she would often point at Lila to take the question first. And so we refer to that as well. Right, there you go. That's it for me with the interjections. Enjoy. Hey, Jennifer. Hey, Lila. How's it going? Hello. Hi. Are you guys in London at the moment? Yeah, we are. Okay, so Where am I. You? I'm in London as well, but I've got I've got the cove. I've got COVID, so I'm I'm. Oh, oh no. no! How are you feeling? I'm feeling I'm feeling okay. I'm on the I'm on the downslope, so I'm okay. All right, good. You look good. Thank you very much indeed. You don't feel at all. I've know, got very expensive bad. CG artists okay. working over time. Yeah. Well <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't believe this. It's, this interview alone is costing five million dollars, but it's it's yeah. fine. It, it's all good. It's all good. Otherwise, we would be doing this in person. And uh, because this is, you know, the LFF and being part of the London Film Festival is, I guess, for both of you, you know, it's it's obviously a point along the road of this film's journey, and it's been quite a journey for for you both and for this movie. It was first announced back in 2019. I'm guessing that you started shooting in 2019 as well. And then the pandemic happens, and I'm intrigued by how that affected the movie. Did that allow you to sit with the material a little bit longer? Because it feels like a movie that's that's speaking to right now. It's about reconnection. It's about trying to find your place in the world again, and that feels very, very now. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm so Jennifer, I'm Jennifer so pointing at Lila I'm so there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm so it's perfect. As I like to be told, she, um, I'm so, I'm so glad I'm delighted that you feel it's a movie for this moment. Um, the, the film was always insignificant part about, you know, beginning to cope, beginning to connect again, beginning to heal. Um, and I think our time away, uh, insignificant part uh, affirmed us in our purpose. <laughs> Uh, and I also think it crystallized for all of us the centrality of the project of trying to connect uh, in the face of obstacles external and internal for these characters. Uh, and Jennifer, what about you? Did it, did it crystallize anything? Because I know you, you shot again uh, elements of the movie uh, you know, during the pandemic. Had it changed by that point? Yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I was just saying I wish that I could take a two-year break in between every movie and kind of come back with completely different perspective, especially with a story like this, you know, that, that was just the, the parallels that were going on in my own life where it's like comical, you know, I was engaged when we started the movie and then I was married and pregnant when we came back to finish it. And so kind of having that firsthand experience of that anxiety of commitment changed to very content in commitment gave us gave me so much clarity even you know just for the ending there there were so many different options um that we discussed over the you know for the next two years of you know does she go back to afghanistan does she stay but they but she and brian don't you know get back together do they and um it just felt so complete and whole 
that the the film ended ended the way that it did with her trusting herself enough to stay to stay with someone. There there were uh, a number of changes as well in in that time. One of them was the title, uh, which was initially Red, White, and Water, which became obviously Causeway. Well, that was changed at Lila and my first dinner when we first met. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not the appetizer. <laughs> <laughs> well, was it just basically like, okay, let's talk about this. That's that's not on the menu anymore. That's off. That's off the menu. Yeah, I think that we both felt that the title reflected the book perfectly, and then it, there was something that it didn't reflect the film that we were planning on making. And then, so for the longest time, for three years, it was Untitled Soldier Project or Soldier Project or USP. And I got so used to that that I just thought that was going to be on the poster, Untitled Soldier Project. Um, and brilliant Lila, you know, writes me a 3 a.m. email about why it's called Causeway. And I couldn't ever have dreamed of a better title for this. Lila, can, can, can you give us a, a quick reprise of that email? Sure. She's pointing again. I know this yeah, is she's, just She's pointing again. Yeah, pointing again. It's my time. It's my time. Um, uh, I'm so glad you felt that way about a late night email. Um, we, <laughs> um, uh, uh, you know, uh, literally a causeway is a bridge. It's a bridge over low or wet ground. Um, and uh, I don't know. Have you ever been to New Orleans? Uh, yes, a couple of times. Indiana? You have. Okay. Have you driven on the Pontchartrain Causeway? No, I'm, I'm, I'm a film journalist. So I just go straight in, visit somewhere and then go out again. That's yeah, fair. So, so really, I yeah, I go straight to Bourbon Street. Um, I am um, <laughs> the Lake Pontchartrain Causeway in New Orleans. It is the world, one of the world's longest bridges over water. It's 24 miles long and um, it's terrifying to drive across. When you are on it, you can't see where you're going and you can't see where you came from and you can't pull over. Um, it, it also happens to be the site of an accident that is um, precedes the film's events, but is very important to Brian Tyree Henry's character's story. Um, but I would say that the, the, the drive across that bridge, that journey struck me as an apt metaphor for a number of the trajectories in the film. Oh wow! I mean, I I haven't done it. You you're, you haven't sold me the bridge, Lila. I don't. I'm not. I'm not racing to to go there you and experience that. Email here. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, have you been on that bridge? Have you have you experienced the the causeway? I have. I have. It's anxiety inducing for sure. Okay, so it is an apt metaphor. Oh yes, indeed. Okay. Okay. Because because obviously water plays a big part. In the film visually, there is this motif that runs all the way through the movie about about, about pools and about water. And I, I wanted to ask you both what that what that meant for you, what that represented for you both. Lila, you can put in Jennifer this time. No, I want to. I'll go off of what she said. <laughs> okay. You know, the the film begins in winter, and uh, where you know water freezes. Um, the film begins in winter, and then there's a thaw. And, and spring comes towards the end of her recovery, her initial physical rehabilitation in Nebraska. And then this character travels to the swamp. Louisiana's lots of it still swamp. And um, I think, and that was actually always in the DNA of this film's original script and in the um, unpublished novella that it's based on. I'm sorry, I think it might now be published. I, have to, I think very recently it got published, mm -hmm. Red, White and Water. That evolution is not incidental in the film uh, in ways I, I think you can likely infer and imagine. And um, the idea of immersion and entry into um, a body of water, uh, the, the prospect of um, 
being cleansed. Um, and also, um, the, the weightlessness in water, but also the, the possible dangers that water present, yep. <laughs> presents. Um, I think all of those elements, uh, felt like they had emotional and metaphoric potency in the film, uh, for both characters, frankly. And, you know, also, um, I mean, pools are contained water, <laughs> but um, I would say, and maybe this is more literal, but th visiting all of those pools, I think sort of gave us an opportunity to uh, tell a story about that city in, in a particular way that also appealed to me. For me, I like water. <laughs> <laughs> stay hydrated. She likes to stay hydrated. <laughs> it's important. It's important to stay hydrated. But it's... Yeah. it's yeah. It's noticeable, for example. Water. No, it's yeah. You know, we're, we're it's it's most it's part of us. Yeah. So you know, we're just going back to the water. That's what it is. But, uh, but the most the, I think the film's most intense dramatic scene takes place in a in a pool as well. And you know, it, that must be interesting for you to explore as a as a, as an actor, Jennifer. That scene with Brian. Um, you know, with my time with the Hunger Games. I have spent a lot of time in water. So I came in with the prerequisite knowledge that I wanted the pool to be at least 100 degrees, forgetting that it was 100 degrees outside. So Brian was very upset. <laughs> and okay. And does a shiver, like an acting shiver when he gets in the water. Quite compelling. Yeah. Which is very credible. Very which credible. Is, I mean, yeah. speaks to yeah. his ability. <laughs> I, you have to see that see that performance of him getting in the water and shivering and know that the water is 100 degrees deep agree yeah yeah <laughs> i'm going we back could to talk it. a lot about brian tyree henry's gifts yeah watch that shiver it's tip of the iceberg no more. that's it so so that, that alone he could go into the in the pool shiver and then step out yeah. of the pool oscar just for that moment alone because exactly. that's that's i mean if you said if it. i was president <laughs> <laughs> Whereas the two of you are being slowly boiled alive in that in that pool, and you've you accurately conveyed cold, freezing, brilliant. That's amazing. I'm sorry. I don't know if I did. My cheeks were <laughs> <You> pretty flushed. <laughs> <flushed. laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I, I wanted to ask about that that first dinner between the two of you. Uh, what was what was said? What was discussed about the project? What was laid out about the project that that stayed with the project right away? Apart from obviously the name change. To Untitled Soldier Project, which, by the way, I also love. Oh, thank you. That was my idea. We'll make you. <laughs> <laughs> that was my pitch. <laughs> you guys, what? Uh, if? Um, we covered a lot of ground. We covered a lot of ground, but I would say that I think um, my memory is that both Jen and I felt deeply connected to this material at a kind of subterranean level. There was something under the surface of the script in the inner life of this character that I think we both, by virtue of whatever life experience we have, felt an immediate intrinsic connection to. And I think something about our independent connection to that, to, to that, to her inner life um, was, I think, a significant part of what allowed us to immediately connect around it and find such easy and natural alignment on the project. Yeah, what's so great about working with another with a woman is um, 
everything that has always been said against women, you know, why we shouldn't be president because we lead, you know, we have too many emotions and we, you know, lead with instincts, um, ended up being a really fantastic way to find a character and to find the, the inner workings of, of a film. And, you know, we just kind of immediately opened to each other. I think in a way there was just extreme comfortability um, that really helped us access deeper parts of the and meanings of, of the film. Am I still talking? You are still talking. <laughs> I'm a woman, and I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and obviously, this is also your debut as a as a producer uh, on this. What was it about this this material that 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 not just said, okay, I want to be in it, but I want to call the shots? And I presume on set, did you point at Lila as well? Was that, was that something that was part of the, no. uh, the gig? <laughs> no, the great thing about the great thing about producing is that if you know if you can pick the right director, then I don't really have to do anything else. <laughs> Just protect her and protect her instincts and make sure that she has the, the creative control that she needs to make the best film possible. Um, and in terms of this being Excellent Cadaver's first film, it just felt like a no brainer. Like this is exactly why I wanted to start a production company to employ people that I'm excited to work with um and to tell stories that i care about and especially to make an indie which is where yeah. i i started and what i owe my my career to um it felt serendipitous almost yeah because it's it's a sort of intimate character-based drama that we're told that studios the, the big don't studios mind. i don't make <laughs> they don't yeah. make they they run a mile from yeah. so you know even with your your name even with your reputation did you find it hard to get this to get this made? No. Good. Excellent. <laughs> no. No. Score one for Jennifer Lawrence. Was, I mean, it was it was cheap. <laughs> well, you know, all the money went on heating the swimming pool. I'm guessing. But. All the money went into my wig for reshoots. <laughs> yeah, and heating the swimming pool for sure. Uh, and I have to ask about your production company name because I'm I'm obsessed with people you know, who who go for uh, offbeat production company names. I like it. I I admire it. Excellent cadaver. What else was in the mix, Jennifer? First um, of all, uh, Madman, but that was a little too close to Mad Men. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I can't even remember. I, I think it was. I think Excellent Cadaver was really the the. It, I think it was like a Eureka. Um, it's an old Sicilian mafia term for um, a hit on a major celebrity. It's morbid. It's masculine. I, I think it's an interesting grouping of words. <laughs> it was. It just. It was clear. <laughs> <laughs> it was clear from the off. It was the right way to go. It was yeah. excellent cadaver. Uh, amazing. Well, I think I've got to let you guys go. But have you got a, a logo for excellent cadaver? I do. It's um, it was done by Don Hertzfeld, who who did those. Were they called like shitty cartoons or bad cartoons? I don't know. When I mean, I'm so old. When YouTube was like first invented, there were these. He did these hilarious like cartoons, like my anus is bleeding. <laughs> um, and so I was able to get him to do <laughs> our animation, yeah. which is you know, day, little flowers coming up and then flowers dying. So I wanted to represent death but without you know a skeleton going excellent yes yeah because that would be my first suggestion 
have it yeah. skeleton and say excellent but that's probably you've, you think you've gone with the right choice actually <laughs> now we now we look at it uh brilliant i'm glad you guys go jennifer lila it's been an absolute pleasure thanks so much indeed thank you. thank you so much thank you take care Okay, so that was Jennifer Lawrence and Lila Nugabauer, and that is it for this epic, bumper-sized, jam-packed edition of the Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when it probably will be another bumper-packed, jam-sized edition. Jam-sized jam-sized edition. Of the Empire Podcast. (laughs) It may even be a rare two-parter because we will be joined by... I mean, Christ. They're just coming through the walls like zombies and Night of the Living Dead. It's it's wild at this point. Uh, name films. Black They're, Panther's out next week, isn't it? Black Panther Wakanda Forever. We'll be joined by Danai Guerrera from Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, Okoye herself. We're also going to be joined by Florence Pugh and Sebastian Lelio, the director of her new film, The Wonder. And, as previously advertised, we're going to be joined by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. Anyone else like to be on next week's podcast? Q, Fucking hell. Q, Barney McGrew, Cuthbert, Cuthbert Dibble, Dibble and Grub. Grub. They're all going to be on next mm. week's podcast. <sighs> Hooray! Until we meet again, until <laughs> that auspicious occasion, until then, it is goodbye from my three colleagues of such lethal cunning Helen O'Hara, Tiddly, James Dyer, it's Mr. Hemsworth, <laughs> John Nugent. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I wonder if Henry Cavill's blue ticks can be replaced by Liam Hemsworth's. <laughs> what do you think? Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Hey everyone, it's Chris again, just jumping in to let you know that the podcast is over. I guess you can go home now. Bye. <laughs>